No, that's my butthole. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> that was a good time to start recording, Mark. It wasn't 199,834 particular aspects of it or something like that? <laughs> yeah, something like number? that. Like that. 183,000 or something like that, I think. Yeah. 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 More, of my, more of my partners are to be believed. Oh, oh God. <laughs> right. their, entire, their entire world's born and then destroyed every second in <laughs> well in, think in about Paul's it testicles millions of lives actually. <laughs> it's true though i mean that's <laughs> actually correct right like that's actually true like uh, this is true so yeah. i mean every every sperm is sacred as monty python says <laughs> you know i'm not even really properly set up but welcome back to your listeners to dance robot dance this is what we <laughs> this is the kind of quality entertainment we're here to bring you on this 139th episode. I'm Mark. I'll be hosting this week. I'm obviously here with Paul and his butthole. <laughs> my trans-dimensional so butthole. My trans-dimensional multiversal butthole. Hi, everyone. It's my new band name. Paul and his trans-dimensional butthole. Actually, when you come back, we should start a band that is called that. It would just be like, <laughs> it'll be like your bedroom pop. Uh, yeah. Band I'll me. play the triangle. And, that's it it. and just there stare intently at the crowd. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Tim's here this week, too. So stay home, <sighs> Tim. Hi, everybody. Tim is barely here. Tim had a fucking long-ass week, so he's hanging on by a thread, but still barely here. Good, good, good. We're glad we're all here and uh, rushing us to record. So there it is. <laughs> Tim, Tim's been sending messages since like noon or something like that. What are we recording today? I'm like, I don't know. When Paul gets up, I don't just leave it alone. You know, he has no me. I'm the fucking planner. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. How are you guys doing this week? So you've had a rough week. Paul's working out like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's been long. Another, I'm in the middle of like two months straight where I'm not going to like, not going to have a full week sleeping in my own bed kind of thing. Ew. So I'm like dead in the middle of that right now. I've got another three weeks of travel coming up and then I think I'm at home for a while, but then my parents are in town. So that's going to be its own brand of exhaustion yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah parents and my sister and her husband so oh wow everybody's coming down eh? <clears throat> yeah yeah they're coming down That's it good. is my i don't have to worry about my dad ever hearing this uh but there's we're doing a little bit of a surprise thing to have the whole family down here for his 70th birthday nice Oof. that's exciting cool. Yeah. That is exciting. All right. Well, why don't we get into the news? Because there is a, a little bit of stuff to cover this week. And then we have a big topic. We're doing planetary this week. I'm fucking excited. I want to get to it. Like, get, <laughs> yeah. get into it. I'm really excited to hear what Tim thought about it. Tim has been keeping us in suspense all week. Just trying to. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he hated it. So, like, I'm really excited <laughs> for Paul and I to gang up and beat him down verbally for, like, an hour. <laughs> Yay! Why Paul, Good time. why Tim is wrong this week. But let's get into the news. Yeah. So first things first, did we talk about the Avengers trailer last week? We did, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah did. we did. Okay. So there was a big yeah. Avengers trailer last week. We all watched it. I think we talked about it. Officially, though, the merger has happened. As of 12.02 a.m., I think it was Eastern time on, I want to say Tuesday this week. Wednesday. It was Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning. Yeah. yeah. Tuesday night. So the Disney Fox deal is officially complete. So all the speculation and all the bullshit can now stop and they can start doing shit. And get me some goddamn X Men. Actually, <laughs> Fantastic Four, so I can have a Doctor Doom. But <laughs> thoughts, boys. I mean, we've been talking about this for a year, so yeah. The more I think about it, and the more the these properties are consolidated under one umbrella, the 
kind of more worried I am about these kind of too big to fail event movies that are coming out. I feel like it's just going to be more money fuddled to bigger projects and less smaller films. Like I'm hoping what happens is that like either through the Disney streaming service or something like that, we like smaller properties don't just kind of shrivel on the vine and die. And we're all just focused on these big, huge money-making event movies. And I know that those are super profitable, but like, they are, they have to be kind of safe and sanitized and that kind of sanitized. Thing. And especially through the lens of Disney family friendly, this is how we make a shit ton yeah. of money kind of thing. So I don't know. It's like, I'm happy that Marvel is all back together again. The family is back, but at the same time, what it means when a monolithic multi national corporation owns this much media it's rarely ever a good thing in the (laughs) long run so that's my concern but i (laughs) but as long as i get my good x-men movie i don't know (laughs) i guess i'm just that kind of person i'm like yeah it's real bad and like i know there's all kinds of business reasons why like i shouldn't want this to happen and stuff like that but i'm like honestly new wolverine snarking at spider-man i i'm I'll take it. <laughs> but like, it's not like the sort of thing where like a tech company or something like that, or like a yeah. utility or something is becoming like over conglomerated. It's, it's a fucking yeah. entertainment firm, you know, like it's, it's yeah. something that is ultimately extra. It's not something that is fundamental to our lives. So sure. If they jack up the fucking prices, then people are going to get pissed, but I'm not going to die because I can't afford their subscription service or anything Ooh. like that. Whereas like, you know, fucking pharma companies all getting bought up by the same conglomerates like that has life changing yeah. potential kind of thing. So. Yeah. But I'm thinking, I'm thinking about more like long-term stuff when it comes to like, does Disney get to hijack our culture overall in the long term? Like will films that might have gotten like a smaller independent release, like five, 10 years ago, those are already kind of vanishing these days. Like we still have well, like, film festivals and Oscar baby stuff. But even then that the only certain films like that get to be made. I don't know. I, th- I think services like Netflix and stuff like that are, are starting to fuel a lot of those smaller independent things. So, you know, they're just not getting theatrical releases. They're going straight to Netflix, straight to Amazon prime or whatever kind of thing. So I think we're yeah, getting like more, the yeah. theater is dying at this point, yeah. right? Like we've been talking, they've been talking about that for decades. We're like, regardless of what they do and how big certain movies are like overall ticket sells, like they've gone, they went up last year, but they're flat this year. They have been on the decline for a couple decades. So, yeah, I mean, I can't count the last time that I went to the theater to watch anything besides a big budget comic book or sci-fi, or maybe the occasional horror movie or something like that, where I felt like it was really going to be worth it seeing on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, there's so much shit coming out now in terms of comedies, in terms of dramas, where I would just be just as happy to have it just release onto Netflix or streaming yeah. or only downloadable or whatever kind of thing, yeah. rather than those theatrical mm-hmm. releases. Tim's seen my setup, so he knows where I stand on, like, the, do I want to go to a movie theater and see a crappy projection screen versus my really fancy 4K screen? No, not really. So, like, I'm kind of in that same, as much stuff comes out first run where I can just access it at home, the happier I am is basically where I'm at. I understand certain things. Like I'm going to run out and see Mm -hmm. Endgame or whatever X-Men movie comes out of this merger, like all that kind of stuff. I just, I don't know. Like I know it's, yeah, yeah. there's no, there's no, 
There's no bitch on her cell phone checking her uh, fucking Facebook in front of me during Captain Marvel at home. Yeah. There's also there's no like group of kids that I got to like, <laughs> like scare the shit out of in front of me either when I watch, yeah. you know, like <laughs> yeah. the Spider-Verse for the 14th time on 4K like uh, so like there is that yeah. like I like I understand there's like a million different sides to this I'm just like on the the nerdiest possible level the Fantastic Four and the X Men are home mm-hmm. yay like that's kind of where I'm at with it yeah. now we can deal with the fallout of all this other nonsense some other day because I kind of yeah. agree with Tim like there are yeah. a, a million different ways where you can kind of get your stuff out and I don't think people are ever going to stop just making movies yeah just to make movies like the whole Kevin Smith kind of idea of like just do it yourself go do it like I think that's going to continue to happen. And as digital, like as the technology becomes more available to do that, like we could make a movie, it wouldn't look great and it wouldn't look as good as a Marvel movie, but like we could totally make a movie right now with like the gear I have yeah. here. So like, I don't think that kind of stuff's going to go away. I mean, the big budget yeah. stuff, yes, is going to be gatekeeped a little bit more, but you know, people throw a lot of money away on a lot of dumb shit. So I don't think it'd be that hard to get a movie made. Yeah. My hope is with the timing of this, uh, that they have already worked on like a post-credit scene for Endgame that's like Galactus descending upon the universe or some shit like that. Like one of those big bads or Doctor Doom or something like that getting teased at the end of Endgame. Like this is your phase five kind of thing or phase four or whatever it is. I know everybody's like really into like the Galactus <laughs> idea and like I know I've been harping on the Doom thing, but like I really want Doom first. Like I want a more human like ground level I don't know, earthbound kind of bad guy mm-hmm. who's not necessarily like this grandiose malevolent entity kind of thing. Like Thanos and Galactus are these kind of like otherworldly bigger kind of people. Whereas like Doom's just like he made him like he's still a man and he made himself bigger. I think that's a better long-term villain for them to have just kind of in the background. Like you never kill Doom, you just leave him there making shit awkward for everybody because that's what he does. But I'm just kind of ex- like I'm just glad it's done now and people can yeah. stop talking about it. Yeah. Like, it was it was a big cock tease for a long time. Yeah, yeah, man. We've been talking about it for a year or like more than that. And it's just been like, can we just get this fucking over with now? Like, yeah, the, right? the majority of my brain is very happy about this. I just just wanted to point out that, like, you know, when you get the studio system like it was in the 1950s, 1960s and the, the death of the movie musical or whatever stuff like that has happened in the past where it kind of creates a bubble and then it crashes and then we get like. 70s cinema which get turns really experimental it's kind of cyclical so yeah. let's i'm just gonna see how it turns out should be interesting yeah so i mean there's that what else is there here so bill and ted have an announcement <laughs> their third movie is coming out next summer they actually shot a little thing so august 21st 2020 uh you'll get to see bill and ted face the music i guess that's already my favorite movie of next year is it <laughs> absolutely uh, i don't care what else comes out next year that is gonna be my favorite movie of next year even if dune is like ridiculously good that'll be your favorite movie is that 2020 or is that gonna be 2021 i honestly who knows man the way they shoot movies now like it could be 2020 it could be 2021 i'm not really sure yeah i mean i'm just thinking the amount of effects and everything that are gonna need to go into that might uh although it has actually started shooting now yeah yeah so um alex winter is looking like super old he does like, <laughs> yeah, and he looks like he's had a lot of fillers yeah. a lot of botox whereas like keanu reeves just continues to not age like just yeah <laughs> he's still john wick like just uh, yeah. this thing 
That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you get that beard off him, and he's gonna look like he's aged like maybe five years compared to the second Bill and Ted movie That's, or some shit like, like that. It's fucking crazy how like he has not aged at all. Like he's just like yeah. the same person yeah. he was like basically since they made yeah, I guess like the second Bill and Ted. Like he was in his twenties, and they all like he hasn't changed yeah. at all. Yeah, but I mean, those two like just in that short video, they still have that like perfect chemistry and back and forth yeah. and everything. So. I am super pumped. They're buds, though, aren't they? Like, aren't they friends? Like, at, oh, at yeah, yeah. Like, I'm sure yeah. they kind of like whatever. Yeah, they're always like pimping each other's projects and helping each other out here and there and that kind of thing. And I think uh, Keanu Reeves did some uh, voiceover and narration and stuff for Alex Winter's like dark web documentary right. that he did like last year and shit. And, yeah, and I'm excited. Like, it'll be it'll be cool to see those guys back, kind of like doing that. Like, just seeing how that shtick holds up for like 25 years later is going to be entertaining. So. Yeah, I hope it has like, you know, sort of that Clerks 2 vibe where it's just, you know, these guys are past their prime, still trying to relive the glory days yeah. and they're clearly past. And yeah, yeah, there was an announcement this week that apparently a guy named Jeff Wadlow, who is best known for directing Kick-Ass 2, will be directing a Danger Girl movie. So J. Scott Campbell and Alex Hartnett, is it Hartnett or Hartnell? Hartnell, they're 20, like it's the 20th anniversary of the, their, of the, the first issue coming out of Danger Girl and they announced a movie. And I'm like, I don't know how you do this movie in 2019. Like in the Me Too era, this movie's weird, right? I see the oh uh, yeah, Danger Girl is like super right. exploity, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's Charlie's Angels through like the fucking 90s comic book J. Scott Campbell yeah, lens. Yeah. Like, good god. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. There, there was that uh, was it Sucker Punch movie or whatever yeah. a couple years ago that seems like uh. it was in that same sort of vein, and it it didn't. Ugh. I mean, it was probably garbage. I never watched it, but it did definitely has a following. It it was a Zack Snyder film, so I mean, like it has a following, but at what cost? Yeah, like it was a bad movie. It's not like every movie Zack Snyder has ever done has been bad. Oh, this is where Tim starts defending the Watchmen. Okay, <laughs> here it is. <laughs> no, I mean, I'd go back to three hundred uh, before I go to Watchmen. I like Watchmen, but I understand okay. the it. But three hundred was a good fucking movie. Yeah, agreed. Actually, he did that Dawn of the yeah. Dead. Was that the Dawn of the Dead yeah. reboot he did? Yeah. It was really, or like, yeah, like the remake of it that was really good. I liked his, yep. that, like that, I remember liking and being like, oh, he's pretty good at this kind of stuff. And then 300 was good. And it's just been kind of diminishing returns yeah. since then, unfortunately. Man of Steel was good. True. Actually, I know we, I got to stop bashing like all those movies because I did like Man of Steel. I haven't liked really almost yeah. any of the other ones since then, but <laughs> I did like Man of Steel. You liked yeah. Aquaman. I did like Aqu- Aquaman and Wonder Woman. I thought were both great. So like, I'm on board yeah. there. I just <laughs> the early stuff. I was like, Man of Steel was good, and then they had two interesting movies. Yeah, yeah. interesting <laughs> duds. Yeah. They were duds. Actually, it's fine. Three. you can say Sorry, it. I always they forget were about. Dirt. I forget about Suicide Squad all the time. Like, <laughs> I always the, forget about the Academy Award winning. I know, Suicide right? Squad. I should for, I should remember because it's Academy <laughs> Award winning, but like I never remember. <laughs> <laughs> It hurts. It hurts. Uh, anyway, man, um, what were we talking about? I, <laughs> that was that, I don't really uh, know. Danger Girl. Danger Girl. Yeah. Danger Girl. Right. Danger Girl. So it's whatever. I mean, like, is this going to be Charlie's Angels for the Me Too generation? I don't know. What's, what's they got? Go they better happen? cast it because, like, without the charm but, of J. Scott Campbell's pencils, I don't know how this fucking this series sells itself. Like, how this movie sells it. The charm. Is that what you're the charm? Yeah, I like his, I like the way he draws. I know you got like you want to be all me tooed up or whatever, but like sorry, I like the way he pencils. Heaven yeah. for friend. See, 
See this perfectly spherical microphone? This is not what breasts look like. Got the USB cable sticking out of it and everything. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, he he does have he has his problems, but I, I I've always liked the way he yeah. does. But whatever. I'm I'm I don't know if I even care that movie's <laughs> coming out. It's, I thought we get a Gen thirteen movie first, but I guess like that dream is mm. dead. I don't know with so. the weird fucking pulls that. Uh, DC and Warner Brothers are doing, then that that could entirely happen. Plus, that new uh, or I won't say new because it's been a f- couple of years now. The new Warner Brothers had stepped down again. Ken Sujihara, I think his name is. Yeah, uh, after allegations of sexual yeah, Kevin misconduct. Su- Kevin Sujihara, of course. Uh, he is yeah the chairman and CEO yeah. of uh, Warner Brothers. Yeah, there, there's an investigation, I guess, involved. <laughs> He had an extramarital affair with Charlotte Kirk, and it sounds like he also he forced her to be cast in Ocean's Eight and another movie called How to Be Single. Oh, both of those were. Well, I haven't seen Ocean's. Oh wait, is Ocean's Eight the the lady one? Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that one yet. I need to. Yeah, it's pretty good. It was pretty good. It wasn't like wasn't groundbreaking or anything, but it was a fun movie. Yeah, that's I love the first ones just because they're fucking fun ass popcorn movies. Like they're totally ridiculous, mm-hmm. but they're just a blast, and the casts are so much fun to watch just fucking around together on screen. Uh, yeah, I really like. I will watch Brad Pitt just fuck around basically at any time because, like, for some reason. Oh, speaking of which, yeah, that fucking that's coming up. Don't yeah, relax your fucking balls. All right, I'm on. <laughs> I'm on the goddamn. I just want to get through some little. Piddly, we got a flow. Little piddly <laughs> bullshit. All right. So apparently there's going to be, we're going to move to the next story now because I don't remember what we were talking about and <laughs> whatever. So apparently the producers of the Transformers franchise did not learn their lesson with Bumblebee because there are in fact <laughs> two sequels to Bumblebee coming out. One which will be like a direct sequel to Bumblebee directed by that team and another sequel to The Last Night because after five of those movies, <laughs> we need another one. China needs another one. Yeah, let's be that's honest. probably basically what it is, is that China needs another one and Bumblebee was not robot destruction porn enough for them so they have to go back to the old formula where they it's almost like if they split the franchise where they're like we do bumblebee for like the people who actually want to watch a movie and then we do the other transformers for people who just want to watch robot orgasm metal fucking smashing together or whatever the fuck is going on in those movies then they can do that and we'll just send those movies to china but we'll get the bumblebee movies where there's like recognizable characters and story and stuff for other people then like Actually, this kind of works out for the best. I just talked myself into this situation. Yeah. So you have an excuse to never watch <laughs> the whatever robot confusion thing that is the Michael Bay type stuff. And you get actual stories about Cybertronian Autobots. And like, maybe we'll get to see like a good Unicron story or I don't know. A real Megatron. A real Megatron. That would be Bumblebee. cool. Yeah. You know? That would be really cool to have like an actual Megatron that acts like Megatron and is a character. That'd be cool. Yeah. I mean, and the thing with Transformers for me is like talking about getting, you know, more interesting stories. Like I've, I tried the comics multiple times over the years and it's just not the same. Yeah, me too. Like it's not the same without the animation, without them moving and getting to see like the actual transformations and shit like that. It's not a story that transfers well to a non motion media. Yeah, yeah. I still don't know why they don't take like like one of those video game engines and just machinima like a 
an animated series of Transformers at this point and just do like they've whatever follow Cybertron and like use the models. They've got a lot of animated series happening right now. Like, I, don't they have one on running on Netflix at the moment or? They almost always have something running somewhere. They're just never like, they're always geared to kids. Like they're trying to sell. Yeah, they need to do like a Castlevania do, like, type one or something like that where it's Ooh. like basically that's geared to what like, you know, for. teenagers, young adult kind of thing. Fucking yeah. 30-year-old dudes that are still act like children. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, us is what it wears. I, I, I succinctly just said <laughs> us as opposed to that, you know, calling out how immature and childish we are. So, so I mean, like two more Transformers movies. At least one of them will be a sequel to Bumblebee, mm-hmm. which was really cool. Another sequel, like another sequel in the main universe. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't even go see last night in theaters. This is me. I didn't go see it. Like, yeah. I don't care. Just, it, so. it boggles my mind that there's a Transformers six, and I still have only seen Bumblebee from start to finish. Like, I've tried a couple of those movies you never see the original i tried i got through the first half of it and then once like once act two starts to like unfurl i'm like what the fuck is yeah. going on and i just <laughs> i lost interest i just turned it off it was a funny gradient between uh, a steven spielberg and a michael bay movie and the further you get along in its runtime the further it goes into the michael bay spectrum of explosions and yep. shit. because so at the beginning it's like hey this feels like a spielberg movie it's kind of nice i mean it's still dumb it's got all that Michael Bay dumb in it, yeah. <laughs> but like it feels like a Spielberg movie. And then you get to the end, it's like Spielberg left, mm-hmm. and it's just like all Michael Bay yep. idiocy. I'm like, all right. So I got through the first. I've, I've sat through all of them, but like <sighs> they diminishing returns, yeah. as we keep saying. Yeah. So, did you guys know there was a Masters of the Universe movie being made? Yeah, I don't. I don't, I don't care at all. God damn it! Like I used to watch E Man growing up, so like I'm like I'm not invested to the point where like I'm gonna watch the movie, but like. It's kind of like, why do they keep making, like, just make something new. Yeah. I watched the She-Ra remake uh, on Netflix, the animated one, and I actually liked it. It was pretty good. It was kind of in the vein of, like, Avatar The Last Airbender, kind of YA style. Uh, and it was well, very well made overall, and I liked it. As far as a live action one where they're going to cast current Netflix darling Noah Centineo, uh, who was in uh, To All the Boys I've Loved Before... I'm not sure I'm super into that. I would like a, if they did, had an animated series in the vein of the Shira remake, I'd be pretty happy, but that's not what yeah, we're they getting. They just had a, a reboot not yeah, too long ago. Yeah, a couple years ago that lasted like two or three seasons or something. Two but seasons. Yeah. yeah, just it's one of those things that like, yeah, I was into that when I was a kid, but it's not like I don't ever expect that I'm going to go back and rewatch those original uh, cartoons, you know, those fucking Funimation or whatever cartoons again. Like, yeah, just yeah. Oh, yeah. one of those things no I think is best left in the past. Yeah, it's funny because like just talking about Transformers, like watching that old animated series is almost as painful as watching those old He-Man shows. Now it's like, yep, yeah, they're bad. Is basically, why I want like the Netflixy kind of like version of Transformers to happen because, yeah. like going back and watching like the classic stuff, I'm like, this does not work for me at all. At yeah, that's what all. we need. Is we right. need uh, what's his name, Drew, uh, that did that. Uh, fuck, I can't remember his name anymore. They did Castlevania? No, Castlevania Drew, was Warren Ellis. No, Drew... Uh, ah, actually, that's funny. That's funny. Oddly topical for tonight, <laughs> bringing up Castlevania. The the guy that used to work with Joss Whedon all the time that did Cabin in the Woods. Oh, Drew Goddard. Drew Goddard. Goddard. He did yeah. Daredevil. Get Drew Goddard yeah. to do yeah. like your, your Dark Transformers Netflix series. I'd rather new talent get involved. And by new talent, I mean Mark. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I could write the shit out of that Transformer show. <laughs> I think we're all pretty clear on that. I think that's the project that they should just be like, 
That's the, that's Merc Project. Merc <laughs> All right. I got a couple of little things here before I hand it off to Tim so he can talk for half an hour about news. That... So John Favreau is teasing uh, Taika Waititi's role in his upcoming Mandalorian show. and IG-88. It is going to be IG-88. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what that means because like, I'm not a Star Wars loser, but like that's... You know. IG-88 <laughs> is one of the bounty hunters in that scene uh, in Empire. Where, yeah, yeah, where uh, Darth Vader brings in like Bosk and Boba Fett and all of them to go and find Luke and crew. Did he have a voice in the original trilogy? No, IG basically just stood there. But he's those were like some of those characters that people like really latched onto. Or like, yeah, that was all, well, that's like, why super, Boba Fett got so popular. Yeah, the, well, those all those bounty hunters people were like, oh, I want to know more about all of them and that kind of thing. And yeah. so, but uh, yeah, that sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. But I mean. Leave no stone unturned in the Star Wars true, universe. No kidding, Actually, eh? there's probably going to be an episode about one of the rocks on <laughs> Tatooine or something. You mean the rock that Luke stood on while he looked at the double suns or something like that? It'll be a whole story just revolved around that little plot of land. Yeah. So you can know what the history of that rock is from the beginning uh, of it has a name on Tatooine. It, it's always had a name. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's sentient to have a name. Yeah, it's a sentient rock. Yeah, it's a Jedi rock, actually. That's how he got his yeah. powers. Yeah, it's it's actually it, made of yeah, midi it, it shot a. It shot it up through his butt while he's standing on there, like half. Now yeah. we're back to that. Off, off and then the it, get, it, it gets its own theme by John Williams or whatever. <laughs> God. He comes out of retirement to do the rock movie. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, I, I'm I'm interested anyway. for Taika Waititi's involvement in that because I think he's also directing an episode as well, if I'm not mistaken. So that'll be interesting yeah. to see. You're correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, that was kind of. Yeah, well, there is casting for Titans. They have cast. The guy who's going to play Deathstroke and his son and daughter, apparently, because there's mm-hmm. casting notes for Ravager him. and Jericho. Jericho. Jericho and Ravager. The one for Jericho is interesting because he is, it's Chell Mann, who is a transgender activist. Yeah. Um, who's making a big name for himself doing that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, who's been cast as Jericho. Yeah, and Jericho's so. always been a kind of feminine character anyway, so I think that works pretty well. So I think that could be interesting. And then the, what's the Deathstroke one? I don't remember the guy's name, but he looked like he could pull off a decent Deathstroke. Uh, Isai Morales, is that it? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. I mean, he's no Manu Bennett, but Manu Bennett was, I mean, he definitely had a good take on the character, but not really like your classic Deathstroke kind of character. Like, Isai Morales looks maybe a little bit closer to what you would imagine a deathstroke character would be right off the bat. Yeah. So I'm just looking at something on the same page where I found that information. Um, 20th Century Fox has released a trailer for six new short films set in the universe of Ridley Scott's Alien franchise in honor of the original film's 40th anniversary. Yeah, they're like animated shorts and stuff like that. Are they animated? Yeah, I think I think most of them were animated shorts, but um, I need to watch them. I've been meaning okay. to, but this week's just been insane. Yeah, I heard the, uh, I think they're re-releasing Alien for its 40th anniversary, but that's also when the 4K version, like they've done a 4K remaster of it, and that's when that's coming out, so... Mm-hmm. I'm excited to rewatch that in uh, in super high def, so or ultra high def, I guess. Yeah, um, that was all I had for the news this week. Unless you had anything else you wanted to talk about, Paul or Tim? There's some big gaming Google? news that came out this week. I don't know if you guys heard, but Google has has announced its gaming uh, platform called Google Stadia. It's supposed to be a cloud based play from anywhere style uh, streaming yeah. gaming service, and I'm not sure. I haven't about seen it, any but, like actual uh, details about it yet, so like I didn't want to talk about. I mean, like I wanted to talk about it and that it's happening, but like in terms of like actually having specs or like what it's going to do, I haven't seen anything where like they're actually talking about 
the actual details of the system. Cause like there was an article on Kotaku about like Google Stadia boss answers and dodges our questions <laughs> or something like that, where Kotaku was answering questions or asking yeah. questions about this stuff. And I'm like, that's like, I'm interested in it just because like, it's curious to see somebody with like the, the glut of power Google has try and throw their hat into this ring. Yeah. I'm curious to see like, how's that going <laughs> to run? I just think that's cool from a technical standpoint that we yeah. are getting to that point. I know it's not the first service like that, but that we are getting to that point where you can stream games that are, you know, being rendered in the cloud. You don't even need to have like a high powered system in your home kind of thing. So, you know, basically turning games into a streaming service where the hardware is irrelevant. No, it's interesting. It's just like, I'm wondering yeah. if the tech is at the place where it'll be played. Yeah. I think it'll have to be lower latency games. Like I, I, can't imagine how frustrating it would be unless you have like gigabit internet or something like that to be playing like an FPS and you know yeah. with sh- shitty ping and sh- shitty latency and just getting yeah. owned with a like even like fraction of a second delay. Even like playing single player would be fucking aggravating as shit yeah. if you have like input latency for like jumps. Like if you're playing a Mario esque like a platformer yeah. kind of thing, like that kind of stuff starts to really throw things off real quick. So if this doesn't work properly, and it's kind of why I, I lean away from this, where I'm like, I don't know if this is a good idea. Cause like I'm, I kind of lean into like the, the game pass style of things where like you're renting it, but like you get to download it and install it. And like, it's on your hard drive for as long as you're, you're playing it locally kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm not worrying about it, like having to stream mm-hmm. off the internet. And like, as we have mentioned numerous times on the podcast, like internet around here gets kind of shoddy. And sometimes like we're disconnected just while we're talking to each other, let alone while I'm trying to download gigabytes of <laughs> bullshit but i think it's also a lot it's also a pretty democratizing yeah. technology as well because you know not everybody yeah. can afford a four five hundred dollar console so now you know even kids that can't afford that can maybe afford a few bucks a month for a streaming service kind of thing and can still yeah. play maybe not everything but play some games and you know be a little bit more included in the gaming community which is obviously yeah. a big part of kids lives and social circles and everything like that these days yeah Almost kind of everybody's social circles these days. Yeah, so. Right. This was the selling point for originally for the Xbox One that it was it was supposed to be always on, constantly streaming, like downloadable technology, and people balked at it mm-hmm. because you still yeah. had to buy the five hundred dollar box. And here with the Stadia, apparently, if you want to run it on a TV, the only thing you need is a Chromecast, which is a pretty yeah. low cost entry point, and it runs on existing laptops. Like if you already have a gaming laptop, this might be optimal for you especially if you're in a place like South Korea where the internet is insane, no matter what you got, like I can download at seven megs per second on the regular kind of thing. <laughs> like it's, this would be optimal for me if Google was that much of a thing here in Korea. So we'll see how it goes. Um, I don't even know if I'll be around. I'll be, I might be back in Canada with shitty internet by the time this launches properly, but yeah, we'll see how it goes. Just live in a civilized yeah. place, not fucking Milton. <sighs> Fucking yeah! Tell me, <laughs> it's, it's hey man. I'm only here for three more yeah. months, so. But it is does say that it, it is capable of yeah. streaming uh, at up to 4K resolution. Obviously, that's heavily dependent on your internet connection. But oh. yeah, because like 4K would be like, what's for yeah. video? I think it adds 30 megs a second or something like that for 4K throughput. Mm-hmm. Like up from, I think you got to be at 25 to do 1080p 60, and then so then you have to have like yeah. at least 55 to 60 megs down and i think it include like up you have to have good up to to for control yeah. but whatever but like 4k at 60 mm-hmm. is probably not in the cards for anybody until we get gigabit like internet everywhere yeah kind of thing so and that includes gaming obviously because 
yeah i'm curious like i want to see how it runs i just need to see how it actually operates before i'm like i'm gonna throw away my xbox and playstations because no no not yet not quite yet plus like what games is it gonna have that's the other thing they didn't really tell i I know they were showing it with the assassin's creed games but i mean we can get the assassin's creed game on xbox and they don't lag so (laughs) or playstation and they don't lag so or whatever yeah, sorry. Thanks for bringing that up. I meant to, like, I had that in my original list. Yeah, there's one more piece of gaming news. Nintendo had its Indies Direct, and they're releasing Cuphead on the Switch, which I'm really happy about, because Cuphead is cool, and being able to play that in public, swearing my head off at how difficult it is, is going to be really interesting <laughs> when I'm on the Korean subway. Although it would be That'd nice be to play it with, like, a, with a controller that's more, like... Because I, I do find, like, modern controllers feel weird. Like, I feel weird playing old-school platformers on modern controllers. So, like, getting that... I think I had it on PC and was enjoying using, like, my 8-BitDo mm-hmm. Super NES controller a lot more than I was, like, playing it on Xbox One. Mm. Just, that controller as, felt weird. Yeah, and as part of that, too, there is uh, there was a combination indie Zelda game that's actually official announced as part of that as well called Cadence of Hyrule. Yay! So it's a yeah. game series yeah. called Cadence, apparently, and the hero from that ends up in Hyrule teaming up with Link and Zelda in like a sort of 16-bit style, which looks pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. apparently it's like a rhythm action game or something like that or something. Yeah, the, kind of the original the original game is Crypt of the Necrodancer, and I have it on Steam, and it's fucking hard as shit sometimes, but it is really fun. Yeah. So you're base it's a basically like a dungeon crawler that is where you have to tap your know, controls like with the uh, rhythm of the game. And the music is great. It's a surprising. Once you get into the flow of it, like you might not be like if you like, I don't know. It's still fun. The rhythm thing. Once you really need to invest some time into getting getting good at it. But once you do, it's really, really fun to play. So I'm hoping that this one, the Cadence of Hyrule is as fun as Crypt of the Necrodancer because it's really fun. I have Mark. You didn't want to talk about uh, Supernatural uh, being or ending after season 15. (laughs) <laughs> i'm in denial and i also didn't write it in my notes so there's that that is true it's yeah supernatural after 15 seasons will end uh so i guess we're in 14 right now uh so next year is season 15 and that will be the last one i mean like i mean it had a run like yeah it kind of <laughs> nobody can say it did not get a fair shake yeah so like i don't think anybody's gonna be like super upset like i haven't watched any of the last season and a half ish at this point, I'm just gonna. I'll just do a rewatch and just do it all at one time and just get it done, and I'm out. Because yeah. man, it's gonna be a lot of watching though. 15 seasons times 22 episodes or whatever it is, like 15 <laughs> times 20 minimum. Yeah. A lot yeah. of TV to get through. So I will do it, but I don't know. <laughs> and it's another nice one. Another nice one where they're sort of getting to do it on their own terms. They know yeah. that they're gonna have that it's gonna be their last season, so they can go out properly and everything. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's great, and like I'm, I'm happy like that. The boys are gonna get to go do something else finally, because it feels like mm-hmm. I've been waiting for them to go do other shit for at least ten years now. Like I keep saying, like I was saying for a long time, Jensen Ackles should have been in one of these superhero movies, and not just like as the voice of Red Hood. Like I thought he should have actually been in one, and now he's too old. Like he's older than I am, so he's like in his forties now. Like no, it's too, too late, too late. Yeah. Anyway, and then the other ones I had were just trailers. The full, the full trailer for Stranger Things season three and for Toy Story four that, that uh, both came out this week and both look interesting. I guess we should talk about the Quentin trailer. Like, oh yeah, and the Once Upon a Time in uh, Hollywood. Fuck, that looks good. Yeah, it does look good. I don't know. I have no idea what it's about still, but like, it looks really fucking cool. Yeah. Like, 
that trailer told me nothing about the plot whatsoever. It just told me that like it's going to be Brad Pitt playing snarky Brad Pitt, which is my favorite <laughs> Brad Pitt. Which means I'm like, I'm basically going to go see the Quentin Tarantino movie where he has Brad Pitt playing snarky Brad Pitt. Yeah. That's going to be amazing to me. Like, I don't care about anything else now. I mean, Margot Robbie looks amazing because <laughs> she always looks amazing. But and we're going to get to just Leo and Brad just yeah. like doing nothing and like bombing around. I'm like, I'm kind of into this. And right Tarantino now. just fucking around in that 70s aesthetic yeah. for like two hours plus. I'm 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 there at like three, probably. Yeah, three. I'm sold just on that basis alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm all in for that. I love I love Tarantino's movies. So, yeah. and especially one yeah. that looks like it doesn't. I'm sure there's actually a plot and stuff, but like I would love to see a movie where he just does like a dazed and confused kind of thing and just wanders around for a little while. Like no real plot, just kind of lackadaisically does some wa- random shit. Like just creates a bunch of scenes and goes crazy because I like the world he creates, just the dialogue and stuff. So. Yeah. That's what that trailer felt like to me. It's just like, oh, this is going to be fun. We're going to hang out with Brad Pitt while he does shitty Brad Pitt things <laughs> for like two and a half hours. And I was like, I am fucking in. Let's do this. Yep. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's pretty much that it. it. I mean, the only other thing, I haven't watched this yet, so I can't speak to it. But uh, John Cryer debuted on Supergirl as Lex Luthor this week. And I've seen a lot of good things about it. So give yeah. me even more motivation to get caught up on those uh, Flareverse CW. It's not really Flareverse. It's kind of kind of is, but kind of isn't shows. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I saw that he was like, that people were really enjoying his Lex Luthor. And I was like, well, that's good. Cause it's been a long time since we've had a good Lex Luthor on TV. <laughs> yeah. So I'm glad they have a decent Lex Luthor there. All right. That's it for news. Let's, uh, let's move on to geek of the week. So you guys can do a sting. Geek of the week. Geek of the week. All right, everybody, this is the segment of the show where we tell each other the geekiest thing we did this week. So we're going to start with Paul, because he's staring um, off at the side, not really sure what he's <laughs> doing right now. Looks super confused. Well, I was thinking about my Geek of the Week and what I was going to settle on, and I think it's just like, I've been cleaning up stuff in Kingdom Hearts 3. Um, I finished the main campaign a while ago, and then my apartment renovation happened, and I finally felt the urge to go well, back and do... All of the like finding various the lucky emblems. So you're you're supposed to find like hidden Mickey Mouse heads in the various oh, hidden Mickey's of awesome. them. Yeah, there's hidden Mickey's all over the place, and they're like sometimes they're just obviously like things that are carved out into the wall, but sometimes they're made of like barrels or like two two random circles on a tree and then some leaves together st- stuff like that so you can find the hidden mickeys all over the place they're they're called lucky emblems in the in the game but that's exactly what they are is hidden mickeys and you can uh, there's a selfie mode so you can have sora like doing posing like, with selfies with the yeah. the hidden mickeys in posing yeah it's it's good fun and like I'm trying to do it without walkthroughs, but they are like you'll get you'll be walking and you'll hear Goofy say, "I think there's a hidden emblem, a lucky emblem around here," and you'll be fucking looking for it for <laughs> half an hour. Holy but... shit! Did, jo- did Goofy just join the podcast? That was so accurate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, you'll. Uh, Goofy, while you're here, can yeah. we ask you some questions about? I don't even oh, know what God. I would ask Goofy if I do. You have genitals? Is your is your dick like a dog's or a yeah, person's? Yeah. Yeah, do you have a yeah. do you have a man dick or a dog dick? Like that's where I'm at. <laughs> if you're a dog and Pluto's a dog, why can you yeah, talk exactly. and he can't? Yeah, exactly. Like I want to know the rule. Is he your dog? Do you own him as a pet? Because you're both dogs. It's actually, just Pluto's work? really deep into the lifestyle, so he just doesn't talk anymore. Uh, <laughs> it's just yeah, well, it's, it's just, just permanent role play. Role play. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. This, uh, Pluto is his, his actually his first Sona. His name's 
like gym or something. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, he was an accountant until uh, he met like who does who owns uh, it's Mickey's dog like, usually portrayed as Mickey's dog. It's a Mickey's yeah. dog. Yeah. So he's just like Mickey's Bitch. weird yeah. sex fetish pet. I guess that's interesting. <laughs> this got weird. This got real weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, not as weird as like Kingdom Hearts actually is. I mean, this is sexy. Yeah. But like Kingdom Hearts is fucking weird. I actually watched a review of this because you know you remember Yahtzee? Yeah. Yeah. Yahtzee reviewed it and I was kind of backlogging through his reviews. And like I was like, I'll watch him butcher Kingdom Hearts because I'm sure he's gonna think it's insane. But he was like, it's actually not a bad game. I just have no fucking clue what is happening (laughs) at any moment ever at all. Just to give you like a brief rundown, like in order to like get a platinum on this game, you have to do all kinds of weird shit. Like you have to perfect a bunch of recipes at a restaurant with the rat from Ratatouille owned by Scrooge McDuck. You have to find all of these lucky Mickeys across all these worlds. You have to build a spaceship that connects the worlds together called the gummy ship G U M M I and do basically like 3d uh, and 2d shooter battles like Galaga style. You have like the amount of variety of shit that you have to do in this game is like baffling actually you're just kind of like why am i doing this but then you can't really stop because it's like it's all kind of fun but you're just i was, I was like, just gonna ask does it all play well at least like because yeah. it's bouncing from genres to genre that can be like that's usually where games like that fall apart yeah is where they get yeah. away from their primary mechanic and everything just like fucking breaks but <laughs> well to be fair they, they to be fair to be fair they took fucking forever to make this game so hopefully That's they true. took the time and did all the different you ate it co- yeah uh, fucking components of it properly yeah most of the mechanics already existed in previous kingdom hearts games so like the stuff that they added was you know it was pretty good but like the, the gummy ship mechanic had been there since the beginning and they've refined it a lot and made it a lot more comprehensive easier to do so yeah it's it's an experience I'm enjoying it. I'm looking forward to getting my platinum trophy on that. Fair, fair. I think it's really cool that they're like including super Disney nerd kind of stuff like hidden Mickey's. So for any of our listeners yeah. that don't know, um, in like all of the Disney parks, the Imagineers include little Mickey silhouettes and stuff like that, or just like that little like tricircle Mickey head design all over the place in like attractions and stores and theming and stuff like that. And so, and people, one of the things people love to do is just go around looking for them. There's like entire books of like, these are where you can find all the hidden Mickey's and magic kingdom and whatever. And, uh, and so the the, fact that they then included that into the game is really fun for me. So the Imagineers of the park made a fetch quest in real life in the park to go find Originally, it wasn't necessarily that. It was just like, here, this is a fun thing. We'll just work it into the designs. But, you know, the nerdy fans were like, this is awesome. Let's turn it into a whole game. And so now there's like this guy that's like known as the hidden Mickey guy that has written multiple books on, you know, just documenting them all and like turning them into a game and being like, this one's pretty easy. So it's only worth one point. This one's hard to find. It's worth 10 points. I'll gotta catch them yeah. off. I would love to be the guy who like places those fucking st- like things around Disney World though, because I would be like, I would be evil about it, like <laughs> Zelda levels of evil about it. You know what I mean? I'm sure the Imagineers 
are like like twiddling like uh, curling their uh, mustaches, mustaches twiddling yeah. their fingers like ah you'll never find the one i put there yeah <laughs> yeah there are definitely okay. some that are really obscure like they're in rock formations and you can only see them if you're looking at it at the right angle there are certain ones <laughs> where too many fucking playstation games man like that's all this sounds like to me is that these guys yeah. are like we did all this stuff in a playstation game let's do it in real life <laughs> Yeah. It's going to be just as fucking annoying in real life as it was in a PlayStation game. And like in certain ones, you can only see at certain parts of the day where like the oh light is casting God. a shadow in a certain way, which is, again, like totally like out of a fucking like Zelda quest or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Or le- fucking yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Yeah. Or oh, yeah, Kingdom Hearts was that too. <laughs> that's awesome. So that's Paul's Geek of the Week. What's your Geek of the <laughs> yep. Week? Mikey of the week. So like I said, I've been traveling a lot for work this week and I always try and do some sort of nerdy stuff as much as I can when I'm traveling. So this week I was in uh, Richmond, Virginia, where I've been a bunch of times. I have a couple of big customers up there. And this week I went for dinner to a bar and restaurant that is themed to the intergalactic metal band Guar. Nice. (laughs) That's amazing. And it actually comes pretty highly like recommended from like foodie community like it's not just your standard bar food they actually i mean they they're not all vegetarian but they had a lot of vegetarian and vegan options on the menu and it was like not your standard like shitty bar fare like the food was actually was like somewhat elevated bar food kind of thing and all of the food and stuff was had names that was you know themed to characters and guar and songs and shit and album titles and shit like that and they actually had a uh, drink list as well that um, had all themed drinks and a list of pretty intense fucking tiki drinks, uh, including the one that I got, which was called Jonah's Tropical Fuck Party. Love it. <laughs> and which was strong as shit and pretty fucking tasty. And I got like mm. a mac and cheese plate that came in like this, a thing that was like the size of a fucking hubcap. It was just huge and was like better food than i fucking expected to get there anyways but the decor yeah. like they're blasting fucking guar the whole time like metal and shit like this that is so awesome they the decor they've clearly like they clearly know the band or like you know follow them around or whatever they've got all sorts of like old prop pieces old masks and shit like that these huge like oversized fucking weapons and shit like that hanging on the walls old posters and shit album covers and everything it was yeah fucking insane see like i guar is one of those things where i'm like i love the shtick of guar yeah like i hate like i don't the music's terrible like they, <laughs> they're a terrible band but like the shtick is so fucking good i love the shtick of guar so much like when you see them pop up in like they're an empire record they pop up in empire records right yeah yeah and it's like that's great that's it that's as much guar as i need in my life basically <laughs> ever you know what i mean like i go into going to this restaurant for like two hours to have like a drink and like some nachos some guar nachos yeah that's as much guar as i need in my life that's mm-hmm. it yeah it's perfect but yeah. it sounds amazing so like i want to go richmond yeah. virginia you said richmond virginia of all fucking places i don't know why maybe some of the guys from guar are there are from there Maybe they're from there, yeah. yeah I don't know, but it, yeah, it seemed kind of random, but yeah. So that was my gig of the week was Guar Bar. That's awesome. Is that what it's called? It's Guar Bar? Yeah. It should be. That's basically like, <laughs> what other name could you possibly give it? Yeah. Yeah. I always laugh at people who like got into like, you remember the kids who got into like really into Slipknot like, <laughs> in the mid 2000s? Yeah. Where I was, I was always just like, I'm like, guys, this is just like hyped up Guar. Guar. Like, 
they were doing this shit yeah. a long time. I used to piss those slip my kids off. They'd be like, no, it's not. It's not the same. I'm like, it is the same. Yeah, except Guar is except Guar's funnier. Yeah, except yeah. Guar's funny. <laughs> like this, your, your guy's shit's not funny. So yeah. Like, yeah. it's all guys, dumb. Yeah, you guys just do this purposefully dark shtick, fucking edgelord stick, whereas these guys are much more self-aware. <laughs> And are making yeah. fun of you for it. Yeah. And they were making fun of you for it 20 years before you existed. So <laughs> you even started. Yeah, <laughs> pretty yeah. much. Awesome. Yeah. All right. That's cool. I actually, I want to go to that. Like, that's, that's fantastic. Just <laughs> more Guar. Good times. I haven't really been doing much this week. It's like my geek of the week's going to be video game related again. I've been playing, I, I finished God of War and now I've moved into Horizon Zero Dawn. I'm cleaning up the PlayStation back catalog that I've had sitting around the last couple of years. I'm not 100% sold on it. Although that may be because Paul is continuously whispering in my ear about Nier Automata. And I really want to get into Nier Automata now. So Nier is so good. It's just yeah, so I good. I, like, I've been watching videos about it and I'm like, oh my God. And I saw it. It, it was on sale this week on, on Xbox for like 40 bucks. So I was like, fuck it. I'm taking it. Yeah. So that's my next one is Nier Automata. But like I'm playing Horizon. It's fun. Like it's a big open world. It's got some weird mechanical issues because it's two years old now. So like things have improved a little bit here and there. Mm-hmm. It's still like if I had played it back then. Actually, I probably would have hated it more if I played it properly back then because it would have been right after, oddly enough, playing Breath of the Wild. Because <laughs> this yeah. game, has, they have a lot in common. They're big open worlds like that. The problem with this game is that like, you can't climb everything. It's super fucking frustrating after having just replayed Breath of the Wild. Because like you have one spot on every mountain that you like. It's like the climbing spot. Yeah, like It's got the ladder built in. So you're like wandering around these huge mountains while these giant... It's cool because these giant fucking robots and stuff attacking you that are shaped like T-Rexes and stuff. But like, I'm like, I got to get to the top of this fucking Mesa or whatever it's called. And in Zelda, I would just like Revali's Gale or just hop up and start climbing. Yeah. This game's like, no, we want you to run around this whole thing to find the one spot that we're going to let you climb up. Ugh. And then you can climb Ooh. up there. But by then you're going to be trailed by 14 really pissed off mechanical groundhogs. Yeah, you just fucking want to everything. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, <laughs> this sucks. But it, like it's it's a really great looking game. It's fun. I may just be suffering open world burnout also right now because I'm doing a lot of lot of gaming. Yeah, but yeah, it's pretty good. So I'm looking forward to getting into Nier though. That one, that one just has my curiosity peaked. Like it just looks interesting to me. So yeah, the storytelling I'll, I'll back next week. Yeah, the way that that game unfolds itself is so unique and. The, the battle system itself is just it just feels really good to play. It's platinum game, so you know that like yeah. it's gonna feel good to beat the shit out of things in that game, and it is. Yeah. You're be- it's not so instead of demons in Bayonetta, you're beating up mostly fucking robots, which is yeah. just as fun. Yeah. So there you go. I've been meaning to replay those Bayonetta games like on Switch because they came out a while ago. I bought them whenever they came out. Yeah, um, but I just beaten them on Wii U like a year yeah. ago because they're super <laughs> easy to beat. They just want you to replay them 5,000 times. But I was like, no, I just want to get through the game. But yeah, no, I've been meaning to like replay them on Switch, but I'm like, I don't really have to because I just played them on Wii U. Yeah. Not that that I stopped mean, me from playing Breath of the Wild, but I mean, <laughs> it's Bayonetta, Bayonetta and Zelda are like two very different kind of... Yeah. Breath of the Wild was like game of the year on a bunch of different outlets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And most people still like are talking about like compare whatever yeah. the game of the year is it to Breath of the Wild uh, the last couple of years anyway. So yeah. Uh, so that's pretty much it. It's just been Horizon my not job hunting free time so christy will be happy that you finally played it she that was one of the ones she was trying to get you to play wasn't uh not really not really she was really like witcher which is on my list still like it's still in my to play folder but like every time i look at it i'm like that's 200 hours (laughs) (sighs) apparently 200 hours that are totally worth it but 
yeah, again, still yeah. 200 hours, man. Like, I can get through. I've, I've played a bunch of stuff in the last little while. I don't even know if I've cumulatively put 200 hours into any. Well, I mean, Breath of the Wild, probably. The thing is, like, in anything, especially when a huge fictional world exists, do we want to, like, if we start into it, do we have to dive in and become super fans of it and then, like, immerse yeah. ourselves in that world for 200 hours? Like, do we want to do that with Star Wars? Do we want to do that with, like, X number of things? And that can be, like, I don't expect anyone in the world to go into Pokemon lore as far as I have ever. Yeah. But, you know, I recommend it because it's, I really enjoy Pokemon in general, but like, I can see why people wouldn't want to because it's generation eight now and whatever, you know, like yeah. there's so much, like, do you need to have the whole backstory? Not really for Pokemon because everything is its own thing, but with a game like Witcher or something like Game of Thrones or stuff like that, where there's just like, continuity and lore yeah especially witcher i'm like can i just jump into the third game do i not need to play witcher one and two does that mean i have 600 hours of shit to fucking slog through now like i don't want to do that i have no interest in doing that also sword and sorcery not really my thing <laughs> i did it buy the game though so well that turned into like fantasy tech in the last one though so i was a little bit more on board i think that's probably part of the reason why breath of the wild worked for me so well because it was like now, now we're now we're into Star Wars Zelda, and I was like, I'm in. Let's yeah. do this thing. They have laser boards <laughs> and shit. I am on board. So yeah, yeah, but yeah. So I've been playing Horizon, like looking at what I'm going to do next. And Nier is beating Witcher right now by a country mile. So <laughs> yeah, that just looks more like more of my kind of thing. Definitely. Anyway, let's get on with it. Let's get to the meat of the episode. I want to talk about fucking planetary guys. Meat of the episode interdimensional snowflake anus meat snowflake <laughs> anus meat there it is all right so we're gonna do something a little different this week we've never actually done this before we've like read a comic and talked about a comic i don't think we've recommended comics to you guys before but i don't think we've ever sat down like and read re- properly reviewed yeah and properly reviewed a comic so welcome to the new dance robot dance where we <laughs> are going to do this kind of stuff because the three of us are giant nerds who read comics so mm-hmm. And here it is. Here it is. So to inaugurally kind of kick us off with this, uh, of course, I had to pick a Warren Ellis book. And <laughs> of course, it was going to be Planetary. So we did Planetary, which I'm actually going to let Paul talk about because I'm curious to see how Paul would introduce Planetary to the world. Okay, well, Planetary is a science fiction limited series that is in the vein of the X-Files, the Twilight Zone and adventure serials from the 1940s. It's kind of a mishmash of a lot of different science fiction genres. It is a loving homage to those things, as well as a kind of meta-textual spin on those at the same time. It takes references from things like Doc Savage to the Fantastic Four to, you know, Mulder and Scully and various Twilight Zone concepts. And it introduces them in an episodic way while still having a larger overarching mystery throughout so it is a very dense read and uh but it is it doesn't skimp on fun at all it there are some like particularly cool fight sequences as well as a lot of science fictiony navel gazy kind of stuff. It's awesome. So I was rewatching <laughs> the uh, Warren Ellis Captured Ghost documentary this week, and the way they describe Planetary is the uh, autopsy table that 20th century fiction is dissected upon. 
yeah, is how they describe planetary, which I think is actually pretty accurate. So planetary is a combined effort between Warren Ellis, the writer of Transmetropolitan. At this point, I don't know what else he had written. I think it was this is one of his really early ones. He had just come off the Authority when they finished when he mm-hmm. took planetary. Um, eventually, kind of became like the Warren Ellis that like comic book everybody fears and loathes all at the same all in the same breath. Mm-hmm. So and obviously John Cassidy and I can't do this without talking about Laura Martin's colors. So like we are going to talk about the art in this book because it's not my favorite part of this book, but it is one of my favorite parts of this book. So yeah, so Planetary came out, when did it start? Like 1998. And then finished in like 2007 or some shit like that because by the time... 2009. Right, because uh, Warren Ellis got sick in the middle of it and scheduling John Cassidy to do pencils. Amazing penciler, slow penciler, as we also found out when he went to Astonishing right after doing this series. If you go on the Wikipedia page, um, mm-hmm. you've and under schedule, it just says erratic. Erratic. <laughs> that <laughs> is the best way to describe any project that John Cassidy is involved with, pretty yeah. much. But... And it's unfortunate too, because this is like, I'm glad they actually got this finished at the very least. Yeah. Like there is something yeah. to be said about the fact that they finished this story. So like it yeah. is a complete thought, even if it did. Like when we were reading it originally, remember when we started reading this? They had like. Mm. There was 10 issues out when we started reading this goddamn book. There are two John Cassidy projects that we were pulling our hair out over. And it was yeah. this one and the Astonishing X-Men, X-Men run with Joss yeah. Whedon. And this is also at the same time as Ultimates while we were pulling our hair out over Brian Hitch, if you remember correctly. <laughs> remember? Just yeah. beating my head against the wall waiting yeah. for, yeah. Oh, the the conclusion of the uh, Emma Frost arc in the Astonishing X-Men one. That was the one that killed me the most. Yeah, but... that fucking three-month wait for that next issue. That was, <sighs> killed me yeah anyway, i would have anyway. i would have been fucking infuriated by the original publication schedule of this oh my god it so was, i had, it was yeah so full disclosure i had never read planetary before yeah. these guys assigned it to me and i am so much happier to have binged it than to have fucking had to sit there i would have just i would have dropped it probably i would have been like nope fuck this and i yeah. found i feel like i would have found it a lot harder to follow and just stay invested in it uh, with oh, like yeah. a two-year fucking gap in publication and like issues coming out every two months and fuck yeah yeah mm-hmm. it is definitely a book that like in retrospect comes out a lot better than it did when it first was coming out because like yeah we I remember it coming out and being like this issue was great but I'm now gonna have to wait eighteen months for the next one mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's fucking infuriating to me like it was a very frustrating process now would I trade it for anything no. Because Planetary is basically my favorite comic book of all time. It is the ultimate comic book to me. It has everything I like in comics. It's got weird sci-fi. It's got Warren Ellis shitty characters just being shitty to each other and smoking (laughs) and being all Warren Ellis and shitty. And it's got John Cassidy art with Laura Martin colors, which is just like the fucking tippity top of comic talent, like in terms of pencils and inks and stuff like that and colors. And then it's just like a weird mishmash of like, yeah, X-Files, Twilight Zone, superhero comics, like just dissecting all this stuff that I love in the nerdiest possible way. And then also, you know, kicking fucking Dracula's dick off. All these <laughs> so like, that was, was cool good. shit. Did you like that? All right. Yeah. So we're going to start at the top. Tim has never read pla- this. This is where like why I assign planetary. Right? Here's why we assign planetary. Cause Tim's never fucking read planetary. <laughs> and he's been on a podcast for 137 goddamn episodes with, all right. 139 episodes now <laughs> with me and has never read planetary. So I was like, all right, we're going to start doing comics. It's time to read planetary. 
Timmy fucking troglodyte, yeah. fucking <laughs> charlatan, yeah. goddamn Philistine, Kenna. Basically, what the hell? This is going to be us browbeating Tim for not having read Planetary until, like, he's read it now. Until but now. This is the last time we get to give him shit for not having read yeah, it yet. It all, like, hey, come on. What the fuck's wrong with you? Like, oh my, it was almost a DC book. It kind of counts. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, well, that's just it. And then, and you know, there's I have a fucking lo- list as long as my arm of stories I'd love to read if I had all the time and money in the world, kind of thing. But it's just my main Working thing is, yeah, my main thing is uh, is Disney or not Disney is DC. So that's what I tend to read is DC because I really do like those interconnected universes and stories that have really heavy continuity and stuff like that all of which you had here yeah this is that is true so i will say yes planetary it would not be my normal fare by any stretch but i found it a very nice palate cleanser for my usual fare in terms of giving me something different i do like i mean i've read other uh, ellis stuff here and there like because he's done like some uh wildstorm stuff that's been under the dc label so i've i've read that his uh, the Wildstorm's almost done, eh? The twenty four issue. It's getting close, yeah. And yeah, I, I was just looking, and I'm like, ooh, I'm getting ready to be able to read like twenty four issues of Warren Ellis Stormwatch stuff. That's gonna be pretty cool because I read the first like six issues, yeah. and I was like, I want all of this in a chunk. I always want his stuff all in a chunk. It is. It's it's written long format for yeah. sure, even more so than Planetary was. Like these are not those are not like digestible issues. No. It's really like it's a long over. Our, it's one fucking like you know it's like those marvel netflix series right you can't just you couldn't just like watch one sh- episode no. of those you need to watch the whole season yeah. so it's you need to read the whole quote-unquote season for that but planetary i'll put mark out of his misery <laughs> i actually really enjoyed planetary nice. i i found a, I, it was a lot i had a lot of fun with it i love like the genre and trope fucking that it does yeah. and stuff like that and like the guys are saying it pulled influence from all sorts of different areas some that i know really well some that i don't so i'm sure there are references i didn't get and shit like that but yeah overall i thought it was a lot of fun there there was a couple areas where i was like this little fucking edgelordy kind of thing that's warren ellis though like i always feel like that's gonna be present and like even in modern warren ellis stuff like i was reading what was i reading i was reading one of his novels this week and i'm like he still has that stuff in there and i'm like all right that's just who he is, I think. Like, I think it's, you're always going to get that with Warren Ellis. Yeah. It works for me because I like yeah, that so. kind of stuff. But like, yeah, I can see. That was the one thing I was concerned about was like if the Warren Ellis niche of it was going to turn you off. No, I mean, I, I, I'm I, not, you know, I, I'm no stranger to edgy shit. Like I watch horror movies just for the gore and yeah. shit like that. And so there were definitely a couple points where I was like, all right, that's a little much for my tastes kind of thing but, but not directly getting his cock kicked off like that was okay with you know, there, there were a few and far between like that, that was the sort of stuff i had fun with like that i i got the feeling although i haven't really read any league of extraordinary gentlemen that that was definitely like a take on that where you yeah. on that team you have like jekyll and hyde and shit like that so like all right we'll put sherlock holmes and fucking dracula on a team together kind of thing and we'll call that our version of leave extraordinary gentlemen ellis and alan moore are actually like apparently like phone buddies like they chat fairly frequently because there's all kinds of Mm -hmm. like uh interview footage of warren ellis doing his alan moore impression and it's (laughs) like hysterically funny because he just amps up like the stoned (laughs) wizard version of alan moore that he does because it's like i've cut myself down from 50 spliffs a day to 40 but now I drink more tea, so I think I'm going to live forever now. 
Warren. Like he says shit like that. So like that's how Warren will like retell the fucking story. So great. Yeah. So yeah, there's some stuff in Planetary that is like definitely piss taking Alan Moore shit because how can you yeah. not? Especially if you're friends with him. Like how could you not make fun of him? Like that yeah. giant yeah. wizard bearded like lunatic. You would have to make fun of him. So yeah, yeah. So I, I was I was there for it for the most part. Like I said, I I don't think I would have been there for it reading it as it came out. Oh but, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, reading it in retrospect definitely a a solid solid story and solid series and that's what i was hoping to hear because <laughs> i was concerned tim was gonna like go off, like go off the reservation on me again i was gonna have to be like well we're blocking tim so that paul and i can talk about planetary for the night why did i get kicked out of the podcast I'm like well i don't know what happened just keep trying we'll keep going though it's fine yeah. <laughs> awesome well like let's let's start paul your planetary experience what do you love about planetary oh my god what's there's so much to love about planetary how do i uh, even start but one of the things i like about it is that it takes by doing that autopsy on these old characters that are very like taking from tarzan sherlock holmes doc savage all that yeah. stuff it kind of breathed new life into those characters for me in a lot of ways and ma- made me see first of all that those character tropes are still everywhere oh yeah and that mm-hmm they can still be relevant and interesting and fun. Like it reminded me that there's supposed to be a sense of wonder in sci-fi because a lot of the sci-fi that we consume, especially in like the cyberpunk genre matrix style, it's very dystopian and it doesn't have a, the sense of hope is always clouded by a lot of horrible shit. There's something more optimistic about planetary overall even though it does go to some really dark places like concentration camp style um, scientific experiments police corruption like really really dark heavy topics but the sci-fi of it doesn't trivialize it but makes it feel like it's something that we can fix something that we can overcome so there's like there's just this really strange sense of optimism even uh, that this is something that Warren Ellis is really good at he's like you think he's like the biggest piece of shit in the world and all of his characters hate each other and they're all garbage humans but there's always this sense of wonder and this sense of well the world actually is kind of incredible yeah so let's all enjoy it as much as we can even though there's you know genetically modified superheroes made by Hitler sex midgets fine it's all part of the tapestry of the world if we keep doing these like if if this goes well and we keep doing these there's gonna be a lot of weird worn ellis stuff gets gonna get thrown in front of you guys like into the into the (laughs) thresher because i know paul loves it and like i'm always curious just to hear what tim thinks about the weirder shit that like paul and i read because like tim's a mainstream superhero reader and like sometimes paul and i go off on like weird fucking tangents when it comes to stuff so like there's some there's some like planetary is a nice mainstream warren ellis book to kind of like get your get your feet wet with we start getting Mm -hmm. to super god or something like no that's not that's grant morrison what was i thinking about oh like cemetery ashes or something really weird well even like transmetropolitan i've heard yeah things about transmet we'll do one day that's 60 issues though it's a lot of reading so yeah well we do it in like a couple chunks or something in a couple chunks yeah this this ended up being 30 issues with the specials specials, yeah 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 we we did you got a little taste of transmetropolitan in the john constantine-esque issue of uh Mm. Of planetary where the Constantine character transforms into Spider Jerusalem as the progenitor of like 
edgelord 90s. Warren Ellis characters. Yeah, Warren Ellis-isms, yeah, basically. Well, it was funny because yeah. like, they wanted to turn him, uh, Warren Ellis, like in the script, originally wanted him to turn himself into King Mob from The Invisibles and like make it be a mm. homage to, from Alan Moore to Grant Morrison. But John Cassidy decided it should be Alan Moore to Warren Ellis and went Spider-Jerusalem <laughs> from Constantine, or Constantine, as Warren has beaten into my head all week because that's how he pretty like he did that dc issue of hellblazer where like the, the columbine one ish where they did the school shooting story that got cut yeah or whatever and he was irate about that it was he quit. he left over that yeah, yeah he's never been back to dc after that like i know he's back because of the Wildstorm and stuff but he's never been back to like mainstream yeah. dc since mainstream dc yeah. yeah and that was vertigo so like yikes. yeah he said constantine the entire time and i was like that's infuriating to me because like i yeah I, fuck I, that i can't <laughs> fuck it i hate hearing it like i know that's the right way to pronounce it but i'm like i can't it sounds ridiculous, <laughs> it sounds ridiculous. yeah yeah that was one of my actually that's one of my favorite early issues of planetary is the john is the constantine one where they do like the the like the thatcher britain and like tying in all those characters that like moore and morrison and ellis kind of created in the two like the post 2000 ad britain era like all those characters mm. that created for DC, like Swamp Thing and Constantine and stuff, and like they, there's a huge blowout homage to that stuff in like oh yeah, that, which is spread yeah yeah, I, which I thought yeah, you would at love the, at the funeral yeah because you yeah, love that yeah. like that Vertigo stuff so deep. yeah and like especially like the weird old Vertigo stuff yeah and the deep cutty kind of stuff you know where they're like oh I can see you know where most of these characters are derived from and shit and yeah it was fun mm. yeah. nice so what was your favorite issue like especially early on when they were going from like bouncing from genre to genre, like going from adventure to adventure. Like what did, what's the one that caught your attention the most? The sort of single issue one that, that really stood out to me was the, uh, the American gun club where the, which was the one where they used the cannon in like, Oh yeah. Steampunk times to shoot the guys in the orbit to the moon. And then they just orbited for 150 fucking years. Yeah. Yeah. And then eventually fell back down and, that yeah i just liked it, it was nice it was like sort of self-contained it was pretty poignant it was very much that like just spirit of exploration jules verney like we're doing it because we can even though they had no way to communicate back and let people know that they were you know that they had made it even though they had no way to get home and shit yeah. and yeah yeah my favorite issue oh it's gonna be hard to pick because there's two like standalone issues that i really really love just say them both man we got time Okay, so the first one <laughs> is the one where it's the Area 51 issue. Oh, God, where yeah, the, that the, one's amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Half-Life woman. The ha- yeah, 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 the Half-Life woman who's existing as a nuclear entity who's going to disappear. And she's talking about how the this universe's version of Reed Richards created these like concentration camp-esque experiments at, to fight in the McCarthy era against the Red Scare. And yeah. it was horribly poignant there's this one line that she oh, says yeah. it's it was about it wasn't about fighting the reds it was about what they could get away with and it was it was it's such a gut punch especially now <laughs> i mean then it was now with what's happening <laughs> it's it's just oh yeah. that one hit me hard and the other one was the when they have to fight the um the robot soldier in the in that bunker um, I think it was the right. Thing. I think you're thinking of Global Frequency because I had the same oh, thing. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I kept yeah. I kept going back to the Super Soldier Global Frequency issue. Yeah, and being like, when does that come up? And I was like, oh wait, yeah. that's Global Frequency, not Planetary. It's a uh, different series. That's so weird. Global Frequency yeah. is a book. We'll probably do it. It's a Warren Ellis book too, but yeah. it's only a twelve issue yeah. thing. 
I thought it might have been one of the extras that I, because I, I only read the main series again. But yeah. anyway, yeah, then I'll have to say it's the uh, the Area 51 issue because nice. uh, the other one is a different series. <laughs> Jesus. My semantic, like, scientific accuracy thing on that one is that's not how Half-Life's work. Like, when your Half-Life is up, you know, you wouldn't just dissolve. Half-Life means that over that period, whatever it is that's radioactive loses half of its radioactivity. Yeah. I think so, he acknowledges that like he's actually acknowledged that, but he's just like, it makes it's, it, it's not dramatic if she just yeah, is still there know. at the end. Yeah. So he was like, so she I should made be her like disappear. shrinking or something. Yeah. Like, he's <laughs> like, I made her disappear because like, fuck you. That's basically what yeah, Warren exactly. actual, uh, answer was to it. Yeah. But I mean, for the most part, like, yeah, it stretches scientific terms and stuff like that, but there is it, a lot of it is grounded in, you know, legit scientific theories, which is cool to see. Um, you know, obviously he's extrapolating it and taking it out. And, and the one thing too, that I found is Ellis just has an amazing talent for describing really advanced concept, complex fucking brain fucking concepts in a pretty colloquial way that makes it relatively comprehensible. Like, and that's just a talent that even a lot of scientists don't possess. Right. You know, they, they're great scientists, but they can't communicate that research in a way that is accessible to the general public. So I'm always appreciative of that. I actually think it's a talent that like even sci-fi writers who would probably need it more even than like actual scientists do. I mean, I, I understand actual scientists have to explain it to regular people on a fairly regular basis, but like mm-hmm. just in terms of like, like if you watch a Star Trek or you watch a Star Wars and like they have no fucking clue what they're talking, you can tell they have no clue what they're talking about because it's just a string of technical sounding words they put together. I always mm-hmm. like Ellis's ability to kind of do exactly what you described is like take a very complicated thought and like express it in a way that like I can understand it. And that makes me feel smarter because like he's explained this really mind bending fucking thing in a real simple way. And I'm like, Hey, guess what? I understand this now. Kind of. And he, and he makes it part of the narrative in an effective way too, which is like adds to the wow factor for me for Warren Ellis. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stop being so goddamn like glowy crazy but i really <laughs> love how he does that like he, yeah he takes these big concepts but he applies it to the narrative in a way that is really engaging as well it's not like i don't know there's some sci-fi when we get into he does have his expository info dumps which is yeah. my if we get into criticisms we'll talk about that but like overall he it's never it doesn't take me out of the story where other sci-fi writers like get into the weeds a little too much especially in hard sci-fi and i'm just kind of yeah. like i'm what when's the story happening guys because yeah. yeah. it's supposed to be a story <laughs> he walks that fine line very well in this series there's a couple times where he gets mm-hmm. like a little bit like over explanatory and i'm like all right wheel it back but then the next like in the next scene jakita's punching something real hard and i'm like well, yeah, well and it's, we're back. it's it's using Elijah as the vehicle character, right? Because Elijah is not like a really technical guy. And so, you know, they even the really advanced concepts have to be explained such that he can understand them. But really, it's so that the fucking audience can understand them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Oh, did I? So I picked we got we got both you guys stuff. I like the um, the one where they introduced the John Stone character, or like not introduced, but like really go into the history of the John Stone character, like their James Bond, Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's just like mm-hmm. such a Starenko feeling issue. Like Cassidy does an amazing chameleon job on a number of issues in this book where he yeah. just takes on qualities of other artists and like is so good at it. And that you think it was him. And, yeah. yeah. Cause like even the, like the, the, the doc Savage one where it's more like prose with illustrations and he like, it's all charcoal and ink wash 
yeah. art and stuff like that. I'm like, I hate you. Like, I just fucking hate you because you're so goddamn good <laughs> at everything. Like, I fucking hate him. <laughs> but I love yeah. the, the 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 Steranko issue in particular because he does the panel layouts the way Steranko used to do those old 60s Nick Fury. Did you ever read those? Have either of you guys looked at those before? Mm, I've nope. seen bits and pieces, but I've never actually sat down. See, like, I them. sat down and read them because I actually wrote a paper about them because Steranko's layouts are like... They're trippy as fuck. Like that guy was on all kinds of drugs. At least that's what I, that was my theory anyway when I wrote the paper. Because like looking at those agents of Agent of Shield, like the old Nick Fury comic from the sixties that he did, mind bending stuff. And they do a bunch of cool like homages to it in this planetary issue, like the bullet with the like the bullet with the chainsaw on it for why? Yeah, it's yeah. cool. Like why not? So <laughs> I love that kind of stuff. Like everything Cassidy does in this book, I'm like he's just like next level talented. Like there's a reason why oh, he yeah. became like a triple A talent on the, like the heels of this book and ended up on X-Men right after. So <laughs> before we go into jerking off uh, Cassidy too much, cause I'm sure we're all going to do a bit of that while we're talking about doc brass. I never figured out why the fuck he had those weird shriveled up legs, why they'd atrophied. Cause he got compared to the rest of his body. He got paralyzed in the, uh, that initial assault, right? And then he was stuck there, yeah, so but his then, legs atrophy. But he's immortal, so his legs kind of like... I don't know. It's It depends <laughs> on who... What are you going to do? Are you really going to complain about like the guy's immortal and was living with a vampire? <laughs> or whatever? And like now we're going to get but caught up. I don't, understand, I don't understand why his whole body wouldn't have atrophied. Like his, his fucking still like rip. Like was he just doing like... He's probably just doing curls and maybe. fucking like sit-ups and shit if like If his that. legs don't work, you can still work out with your upper body, right? I guess. Especially if you're just sitting there for like hundreds of years or however long. He was sitting there for like 50 years, right? So... Okay. Mm-hmm. The, the, his fucking weird shriveled up legs weirded me out. That's all. They were just creepy. Yeah. That was one of those things that every time I saw it, I was like, no, don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> what else were we going to talk about? Well, we were, we were already talking about Cassidy's art. So like, I'll go right along with that. It's fucking great. It's one thing I thought, I thought that he was really good at was conveying uh, motion without sort of the comic comic book codifiers and sound effects and stuff like yeah. that. So there's not a lot of like, swoopy lines and that sort of thing he does it occasionally especially with jakita yeah to show like you know like blur where she's yeah. yeah where she's taken off or something like that uh, which which i'm always impressed by artists that are able to do that to do that in that particular way mm-hmm. um and i found his art to be pretty reminiscent of uh gary frank i'm not sure who was first in that situation because both of them seem like they've been around forever at this point. I think point. they're both I think they're about the same age. I think they broke in around the same time. Yeah, you're you're not wrong, but I, I feel like I didn't hear about Gary Frank until after I'd heard about Cassidy. So like I don't yeah. know what that means. And I'm an art nerd, so like that kind of indicates to me that Cassidy would be have been around first. But it may just be that I didn't see what Gary Frank was working on. Because there was a long time yeah. where um Steve McNiven, who is like one of my favorite pencilers ever, like before he worked for Marvel, he worked at Meridian or was it CrossGen or whatever that label was. And I was yeah, like, yeah. I had no idea. There's like five years of Steve McNiven pencils that you can go look at. It's all in garbage cross-gen books, though. Like, it all reads like shit. Yeah. But like, he draws real nice. Yeah. So, like, you can go look at it. It's great. It's always nice to see more pencils. But yeah. So, I don't yeah. really know which one of them was first. But uh, I know I love Cassidy. I've been a big Cassidy fan since this series. And like, I followed, we followed him through Astonishing. And I don't know what he's doing now. Like, he kind of jumps in and out of stuff. Um, he's obviously very slow because his art is insanely detailed. But. No, he's he's Wildstorm right now. Is he Wildstorm right now? That's nice. That's awesome. Yeah, that uh, he's he's doing that Wildstorm book right now, and you can tell like it's. Is he actually penciling that? Uh, I believe so. Let me ch- double check, but I'm pretty sure he is. 
And the other thing that I thought found with uh, Cassidy's art and again, in comparing him to Gary Frank is that it's, he does slip a little bit sometimes into that. Everything feels kind of lumpy yeah. style, uh, which for the most part works with planetary, but there are a couple times I was like, eh, this doesn't totally jive, but I would say 98% of the time it was really perfect. Sometimes he gets like Frank Whiteley face in some of his illustrations. Uh, yeah, and I'm like, eh, it depends. It just depends on yeah. what he's. It's like, did this person just have a shitload of Botox yeah. or something like that? Yeah. And and Frank Whiteley face. <laughs> yeah, like uh, yeah, like Alex Winter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah there's that too. <laughs> I something I love about John Cassidy is that he doesn't skimp on the details in his backgrounds and the various sci-fi environments that he creates in various issues because they go to a lot. Of, of different worlds, whether in flashback or whatever, are so fully realized in like maybe one splash or something like that, that it's just like, holy shit, this is a whole world. And I can picture myself there, you know, like it's yeah. that level of yeah. detail. Yeah. Some of those splashes were absolutely amazing. I, uh, the second time I read through this for this, I pulled out my absolute editions so I could get like the big, like big printed art and stuff like that. It holds up real nice at the big size. So if, if you have never read planetary, and you have the means to spend $400 or whatever the fuck it is to get those absolute editions because they are expensive. Yeah. I have two sets of them at the house right now because Paul has left his with us right now. <laughs> I'm coming back for them. I know. Oh, I know. <laughs> They're worth getting, though, just for like Cassidy's art and stuff like that. Like, I love those absolute editions basically just as art books. I don't actually reuse them to like reread stuff because they're just so fucking cumbersome to like hold and manage and stuff. But like, mm-hmm. they look yeah. amazing when they're done properly. Yeah, that was one issue I had that was more with the way that I read it more than the book was that I was reading it on my tablet and the scans are pretty good. But if you try and like zoom in too much, they're not scanned at real high res. So you do start getting some uh, pixelization and that kind of thing. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So DC Universe, you could up your game a little bit in that that aspect. I don't know if the Marvel side of stuff is any better. Like, I'm pretty sure it's pretty low res when you actually like zoom into it. But I could be wrong. Yeah. Let's talk about the four because... (laughs) <laughs> I want to hear like, cause that's kind of the main through line of the story. Once you kind of get past the introductory, like bits of it, this is also into the point of the story where Paul and I would have been pulling our fucking hair out. Cause we were waiting for years on end for issues to get the next dump of like four story. Cause it kind of becomes the story of the four yeah. post like issue 12 ish. I want to say um, they yeah. start introducing the concept early on, but like it becomes very much like we're going to take down the four and then we'll talk about the end later. So what did you guys think about the first Warren Ellis's first superhero, or oh, sorry, how am I going to say this right? So, like the fact that Warren Ellis introduces the first real superhero team to his little universe and makes them the biggest bunch of shit heels on the planet. <laughs> it's interesting that he chose the Fantastic Four as the evil ones because they, in the Marvel universe, uh, embody that sense of sci-fi wonder that we talked about. You know, like yeah. they got their powers from a like independently funded space mission and they got hit yeah. with galactic radiation and, <clears throat> and all that stuff. So they really it's are cosmic rays. I guess like so, so 60s, it's just cosmic rays. <laughs> yeah. cosmic like, rays. That's where it was. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that the four as a concept are really cool. And that's kind of how they operate within the story more conceptually than as actual characters with the exception of Dowling and leather, because Kim's this is kind is, She's a little bit of like a cipher. There's she doesn't have a lot of character development, so uh, you don't really get a sense of her character very well. You know that she's a threat because they tell you that she's a threat, but you don't really yeah. <laughs> see that very much. And th- that's one of my criticisms is like there's a little bit of tell don't show co- going on with the four that like 
And I, th- yeah. I think that's a result of like the schedule falling apart. I feel like there was probably more detail they wanted to go into and like they just didn't because they couldn't get the book out on time ever. So yeah, it just yeah, kind of yeah. fell apart that way, which is unfortunate because like I like that's my favorite part of this book is when they start getting into the four stuff and it becomes kind of like, yeah, like and because there is like the big arguments to be made about like superheroes, like because it's all act two, like they never make a real difference. Right. Like, yeah. And if you look at it like from a malevolent way, like that's what you get. Then you get the four where they're actively holding back their technological breakthroughs from society so that they can continue to elevate themselves above everybody else. And I did like that concept. I thought that that was a good take on villainy kind of thing. Whereas, uh, and I mean, it's definitely very sort of anti-corporate sentiment or like, I don't know, maybe anti-government or something like that, where it's like, yeah, there's, and it's also sort of conspiracy theory, right? Where there's people like, oh yeah, the fucking cure for cancer is out there, but the pharma companies are just holding onto it because they're making more money off it. That was a very like, late 90s turned like early millennium kind of feeling to have yeah, and still yeah. it's just it's still a popular sentiment if you are a red pill like trump supporter i think yeah because i still see yeah. that shit on reddit every once in a while and i'm like i thought we got over this oh, stuff yeah. with anti-vax i guess we didn't get over any of that yeah no so. <laughs> fucking measles outbreaks and shit right now <laughs> like jesus Ooh, boy. <laughs> it should be noted I, it's <laughs> we're like in the middle of this episode paul told us like right before we started recording that it's muller time and like i want to go read the report so yeah. i'm like i don't know what <laughs> yeah if it ever sees the light of day but um yeah i think that if nothing else like i think that the four is an amazing concept and the way that the other three characters like dowling leather and green like jacob green is only in it in a very brief moment because he's the version of the thing the pilot yeah he's yeah the, the thing that's all disfigured that was and... a great I, I love that issue though where they send the yeah. angels up and like trap them like this is really yeah. well done like i thought that was a really cool that was a really good yeah it's yeah, a really good yeah. issue i think like that, that that's probably i agree with you about suskin like the the kim character where yeah. like they don't she's the only one they don't really do anything with because you get a ton of time with leather and i like that character a lot he's a great villain yeah um and then like the reed richards like dowling Man, I love like that. That I like that concept. A lot. Yeah, yeah, like that concept of like that twist on Reed, the Reed Richards character, makes me yeah. always fear Reed Richards now. Like I'm always like when I see Reed Richards show up in a Marvel, waiting book, for him to. I'm always yeah. like, when's he gonna turn into Dowling? Because like I feel like that would be. I love this story so much that I feel like they should do that in the Marvel universe and just turn him into the villain, which I guess is just Doctor Doom. But yeah, yeah. I don't know. Or, I kind of like the idea of the, the Illuminati. Of the four. Yeah, I've always that too. I guess that's true. I always forget about those guys. But uh, I wish I could. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I I definitely agree, Paul. I think that they could have been a lot more fleshed out than they were. There was definitely times where I was just like, okay, here's this person. I'm not really sure where I'm why I'm supposed to consider them that much of a threat because I know so little about them. Yeah. yeah. And then by, by the end, you get most of it. But uh, yeah. I think it could have been maybe paced a li- little better in terms of telling you more about them, sort of maybe at the halfway point rather than it all being like tail end of act three almost. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm sure Ellis would probably argue that like, they're not the main thrust of the story. So like, they're just yeah. kind of there. So they don't really need to be like super fleshed out. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, that's just cause you didn't flush them out. So like you get to say that now. <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. It's easy to say that in retrospect, yeah. Yeah. especially about a book that he hates <laughs> talking about. Cause he was sick and stuff during it. Like he, it's hard to get him to talk about planetary, even though like a lot of people think that like it's his best work. So like it's it's what was he sick with during I don't know he I think that was when he quit smoking and he claims that that made his immune system shut down Warren Ellis is a weird fucking guy I don't think that's how that works no it's not okay (laughs) um I I would recommend if you guys are like if you guys read this and like 
are intrigued by the way Warren Ellis kind of like tackles stuff. I highly recommend watching. There is a, there's actually a pair of documentaries that came out. One is called Warren Ellis Captured Ghosts, which is all about Warren Ellis. And then the other one is Grant Morrison talking with gods, I think. And it's like, they're two kind of like interviews with the subject, but also like people that are associated with the subjects doing like interviews about that person. So it's like Matt Fraction and Kelly C. DeConnick talking about Warren Ellis. Funny story that I told Paul this week, Kelly Sue DeConnick, Captain Marvel writer extraordinaire, and Matt Fraction, Iron Fist writer, I guess, extraordinaire. I don't know what the fuck. Oh, I guess he did Hawkeye, right? Last year or a couple yeah. years ago. Um, they met on Warren Ellis's message board and got married. That's how. Oh, yeah. They're. Yeah. Well, I knew they were married. I knew, a couple. I didn't... I knew they were married. I did not know they met because of Warren Ellis. Ellis. Like I, that threw me <laughs> off. I was like, holy shit, really? That's I never thought I would see the day where somebody was like, hey, Warren Ellis, purveyor of all that is gloomy. <laughs> he got Matt Fraction and Kelly Sue DeConnick together kind Cupid. of by accident but, yeah. but he kind of played Cupid with his message board I was like that's kind of cool <laughs> so what else can we talk about because the only other thing I had here was like who out of the planetary which are the three of you do you most identify with but like because we all know I'm going to say Elijah <laughs> Snow but uh, uh, probably also Elijah Snow I don't think I'd really fit the drummer I'm not like well I don't you know I'm probably somewhere in between the two Cause I, I see I'm out of the yeah. three of us. I'm the one that has like the PhD. I'm probably the more analytical thinker out of the three of us, but I definitely have some of that cynicism and shit that, uh, that Elijah has. Yeah. I'm all, I just know actually kind of a little bit Chiquita. <laughs> like I really hate being bored, which has become <laughs> a frustration in the last couple of weeks, but like, yeah, I, I, I definitely lean onto the snow side of things. Paul's the drummer. He's so the drummer. <laughs> <laughs> I resent that. Actually, I don't because like I'm I'm definitely like in my own world a lot, and yeah. but I'm also I I am an adventure seeker. I mean, I moved across the world for a reason, so I'm a That's bit true. of a Jakita drummer mix. I think like I don't think I have the like sometimes on my bad days I've got my Elijah isms, but mostly I'm a Jakita drummer. Kind of, yeah, we'll get we'll we'll show you because uh, um I mean. Basically, self-insert characters are kind of Warren Ellis' stock and trade. And Elijah Snow is very much like his planetary insert character, I think, in a lot of ways. I relate to Warren Ellis a lot more than I probably should. I, I was noticing that when I was watching Captured Ghosts again. I was like, huh. Yeah, a lot of the stuff that he does is the same shit I do. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's start winding down a little. Do you have anything else you want to talk about that's like pressing on you right now? Yes. Uh, there's a couple of things. So okay. one was, so this is... I don't know if this is a positive or a negative. I felt like we were dipping our toes into a lot of plots with huge potential, but then we just fucking like would leave them behind. Like Ellis is be like, Hey, start driving down this road. And then he fucking just blows out the bridge in front of you. So you can't get to it and shit like that. It, which I did find frustrating a couple times. I mean, I get that that's kind of his style and that, you know, he likes to leave some stuff to the imagination or whatever, but for a limited series, I don't want fucking loose ends in this world. I'm fine with it because this world is nothing but loose ends. Like that's the whole point of this world is that they're just like discovering these loose ends, mm. right? Like that's kind of the whole thrust of this whole, like archeology span of the unknown thing that they do is like everything that they investigate is somebody else's loose end. Yeah. And it just kind of becomes their loose, the planetary organization's loose end. Yeah. And that they don't go back to it. I'm sure there's a world where like somebody actually took planetary and made like a series of it. The problem is that like by the time they finish the series, he's finished the series, right? Like they've taken over earth basically. And like made utopia 
So and let's not forget the catchphrase of planetary. It's a strange world. Let's keep it, let's keep it, it that, that way. way. But the, exactly. The one that use that as the end tag for the episode. But thanks, Paul. You <laughs> totally ruined my bit. That's fine. Well, it came up. So yeah, you're right. No, you're right. Ethos, whatever. It's <laughs> completely, and I completely agree with that. Is like I love that sentiment. Is like it is a strange world, and especially that world is super fucking strange. Yeah. I w- and like I would love for him to go back to that world and just like redo, play around, like, not even redo, those, uh, but play around. Yeah. Yeah, just play with One some of those concepts. And shit. And just like, yeah, because he has touched some of those those like ideas in other books before, but never like going back into the planetary like universe and doing it. But he has touched on a lot of these ideas. Yeah, in other stuff. Well, that afterwards. that was one of those things I was left wondering. Was like, I know that this was part of the Wildstorm like broader universe yeah. to an extent. Like, there's a couple characters that cross over and shit. So in some cases, I was like, oh, I wonder if like I would know more about this if I'd read more Wildstorm books, but. That was minor. Not really. The one that really pissed me off was I really fucking wanted to know who the uh, fictional character was that they brought back from like that fictional, like that oh. fiction ship or whatever that they made. Yeah. That one, I was oh, like, yeah. this has to be going somewhere and nothing. He gets asked that at every convention he goes to or anytime somebody gets a chance to ask him a question about this book. Somebody asks him, like, who was the fictional character? And he's like, I did that on purpose. Yeah. And I actually believe him to torture he's like i did that on purpose to torture you guys yeah and i when, when warren says shit like that i'm like that's one of those times i'll believe warren ellis if he says it's just to fuck with people he's a hundred percent being like a hundred percent honest right there yeah because that's warren ellis it's just i did it to fuck with you because i didn't have enough red bull and cigarettes that day so <laughs> here it is you know what i mean yeah yeah i know i watched an interview with him this week where he pounded four fucking red bulls in like 45 minutes i was like you're gonna die like I used to drink two in the morning. I thought I was going to die. You're drinking four in an hour. You're going to die. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. The other things that I liked that played more to my like mainstream superhero comic side were that it felt a lot like a generational story. Like DC tends to get where you've got like characters that are children of other characters and that sort of thing. Like you, you know, you're, it's this world where metahumans and fantastic creatures have existed for millennia or well at least hundreds of years kind of thing even if they've mostly been existing in secret so or outright murdered by the four because like that's fuck that was brutal the green lantern superman and wonder woman all dead before they could reach mankind well no wonder woman didn't actually we can talk about that fucking garbage pile actually that was my least favorite episode of the main series was that one where they had like oh here's the you know, Wonder Woman Green and Lantern Superman and Green Lantern of this world. And then fucking Jack Leather just incinerates a baby. Like, I was like, come on, Ellis. Like, that's a little much even for you. I was there for that because that's such a Warren Ellis thing to do. Anytime. And this is the one thing that I will get on Warren Ellis about. He loves to kill babies and he loves to kill dogs in his stories. And I'm always like, why? And you want to know why he does it? Because fuck you. That's basically the only reason he does it. I, I don't like dogs and I can't stand babies. So if I'm going to put them in my story. I'm probably going to pulp them. I'm like, that's gross. <laughs> You're weird. But Please don't do I that. Respect, Can I we not? Your opinion, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he does that. That was, I, I kind of figured you as soon as I, like, I knew throwing the, the JLA kind of tie stuff into it would get Tim's 
fire up a little yeah. bit. Because I knew he'd be like, they're disrespecting my goddamn DC legacy. I don't even but care yeah, about like people there. playing around with it on the wild star side. Yeah, because I mean, there's obviously tons of places in here where they take pot shots at at uh, at you know mainstream, Everybody. yeah, mainstream comic characters, and they you know they're not playing favorites yeah. or anything. Like you said, they have all those pot shots. They take in all those old edgelord fucking Vertigo characters and shit like that too. Yeah. It's just that one in particular. It's like, and it's not like it's one side of this street. Yeah. Either. Like it, he's like, he's obviously like, he's ripping like the fantastic four apart, which is like a big Marvel franchise. And like, he's off. What's the other Marvel thing he really rips into? Uh, Nick Fury. Oh, Nick Fury. That's what I was just thinking mm-hmm. of the Nick Fury. Like he rips apart the Nick Fury and fantastic four legends, like crazy. So like him yeah. murdering Superman analogs, I'm like, all right, that's just basically what he's doing here anyway. Yeah. So yeah, he's already got the fantastic four is like, the worst kind of Nazi super scientist I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> yep. So fine. <laughs> like, we're just fine. Yeah. And then, and then it was also playing with that like big two trope that all the interesting things on earth have happened in the past, like 60 to 70 years, which is since people started writing comic books kind of thing. So it, 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 yeah. it had a nice bit of like meta textual and like self-awareness with those sorts of tropes too, which I liked. Mm-hmm. Nice. What else? Do you got anything else? Well, can we talk about the fucking homage covers? Because a lot of those were phenomenal. Well, we'll get into like we'll get into like quick hits as we kind of get out. I just want to get if there's anything you guys missed that you wanted to talk about in depth while we're here. In terms of feelings, while I was reading along there, when I was getting towards the end, I kept feeling like I was going to have the rug pulled out from me, like because I kept like teasing that Snow had gone too far and shit like that, and I was like, oh, is he going to go bad or like? You know, something's going to happen here and we're going to find out Planetary is actually the villains. But luckily that did not really happen. Yeah. Yeah. He actually played it straight, which was like, I was I was surprised the same way because I kind of thought because I'm like Ornelas like nerd. I was like, are they, is he going to turn these guys into assholes? Because he kind of turns the authority into assholes like real quick yeah. in his run on authority, which predates mm-hmm. his planetary run. By the end of that run, they kill God. They fucking <laughs> kill God. Stab him in the heart shit like he's dead. And they take over. He probably like, deserved oh, that. That's one honest. way of solving that problem. He probably, well, I mean, that God absolutely did. I mean, if there is a God here, he kind of deserves <laughs> it too. So fuck him. But like, either way, I thought that was kind of like his, his, yeah, I don't know. I liked, I liked the book. I don't know what I, I don't remember what I was trying to say. <laughs> cool story. <laughs> Help me. Yeah. Just, yeah, just grandpa. Right again, there. Grandpa. Good times. All right, let's uh, let's wrap up. Let's do like little quick things. What did you like? Like, what were your? If there's like moments that you want to call out, like you know Elijah kicking Dracula in the dick, which yeah. <laughs> come on, man, genius. I do like. I, I want to shout out that point where like he goes out and finds Sherlock Holmes and stuff like that, and like they have that moment where the the whole like Justice League of that era kind of comes together and they fuck it up because the ideas at that time are yeah. too fascist. It's like that's pretty telling about like what's happening in the real world right now. I don't know if that makes me comfortable <laughs> or not, but yeah. all right. Yeah. Um, I like that even characters like Sherlock Holmes and stuff are awesome, like one-shot throwaway characters. But my favorite one-shot throwaway character has got to be the bride who fights with John Stone. And she's like, she's an Emma Frost style, like, um, oh, yeah, yeah. Patel, who has a fucking telescopic laser eye. And she gets she's like Madame Hydra or something. Like yeah. That, I don't know. I just like, I liked her style, man. I was like, I was into the bride. Uh, but there's, there's, that a, she's great. Yeah. There's a lot of like one shot characters or, or minor characters that are stand out. Like Anna Hark is really cool. I really like. Yeah, the Harks. The Hark stuff yeah. is very cool. Axel Brass was amazing. Uh, Jim Wilder. 
yeah, just there's a lot of, but I love, I just love the main team and I'm just, I just love Chiquita Wagner so much. I just love yeah, watching her. She's just so having so much fun kicking ass and taking names. It's just like all she wants to do. Like when she, in that, the area 51 issue, when she sees the giant ants and she's just so happy and I'm so happy for <laughs> yeah. her. And it's just, I love that bit too, because she's like, everybody's like, we'll help. And <laughs> she's like, no, fuck off. Yeah. And Drummer and snow are both like, no, we're going to stay here and kind of like talk to this lady and find out what's going on. She's yeah. like, great. I'm fucking bored. I'm going to go kill these fucking ants. Cause like, why the fuck not? Yeah. And then, and then the one gets thrown. Yeah. <laughs> ends up throwing one through the wall. And she's like, Oh, sorry. I threw it too hard. I kicked it too hard or whatever. Yeah. I did like that. They tied her origin to the Tarzan. Yeah. That was a really cool origin too. Yeah. It was a giant racist dick. Yeah. They did like, they, like that's what I liked about, this like he ties everybody together into that origin and i do like the fact that like elijah is one of the like it's a wild storm trope but like that he's one of the mm-hmm. century babies in that universe right. i always i like that concept they played up yeah, in Stormwatch a lot i'd have always enjoyed yeah with yeah jenny i wish there was more jenny sparks i like jenny sparks she's one of the parts of the yeah authority. she kind of fits in the authority she doesn't fit super well <laughs> no, into this um story because she's kind of an aggressive character, which doesn't really super suit, which is a little more you know, passive yeah. in their mission and per everything. Se. And peaceful. Yeah. yeah. A little bit more Starfleet, a little yeah. bit less Star Wars. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. 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 Tim, you want to talk about covers? I mean, I'm here all day to talk about John Cassidy's fucking ridiculous penciling skills. So. Were those all yeah. his covers? Like, oh, yeah. That, he did all, he did all of them. Jesus. That's insane. He's a chameleon. I, I, that's what I was yeah. talking about. Like, he's it, between him and uh, Laura Martin, who did the colors, like, this is one of the best looking comics I've ever seen in my life. Like it is so yeah. well like illustrated. Yeah. Well, so I, I had a love hate relationship with the covers. Like they all looked amazing, but as somebody who like kind of like some uniformity, like having every cover be in a different <sighs> style is also kind of jarring. I understand why they didn't. It totally works for this title, but yeah, some of them were just like real fucking deep cuts and stuff. Like, Oh, I mean, there was like the duck savage, yeah. cover there was like that takeoff on the sandman mm-hmm. covers and which was funny because that was for the like that was for the constantine i mean that yeah. they did that kind of cover for the the early hellblazer issues too like that kind of like pastiche collage kind of yeah well there's a there was a morpheus knockoff in that yeah in that and death yeah, yeah, yeah she was there too yeah 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 there's a there's a death uh, on the being all emo yeah. on the bench yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but even like the, the the issue paul was talking about which is issue eight the Area 51-esque episode where like the, the cover is just like a 50s sci-fi like draw, like Jack Kirby kind of drawing of like giant ants and stuff mm-hmm. like that and the team running away from it and I love that stuff like the the Steranko cover in particular like the one where he does that which is issue I want to say 10 oh 11 sorry like that I love that because it's it like harkens back to that original Steranko stuff and even like they do the what's the story I think it's in issue 13 they do like that's the Sherlock Holmes one but this story mm-hmm. looks like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Like it's got that yeah. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen style cover on it. And I'm like, that's fucking like clever. I like the way they mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. And that extends into everything. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm all for the covers. Like all the covers look great. So yeah, there's like ones that are like knockoffs on Kaiju Godzilla mm-hmm. and shit like that. And I do yeah, love that I mean, issue. That's that's my favorite. Like that was my favorite. Like like in the early that was part a good of standalone. The, the book, yeah. Like introducing like introducing how weird this book is going to get. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. not only like finding the Kaiju corpses but also there's like weird cults eating them and stuff like that i'm like that's such a warren ellis thing yeah. to do is to have a weird cult dedicated to the weird thing that's already there like 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like just like putting like trying to summarize the the stuff that they do in this comic is kind of just kind of a fun thought exercise, like Chinese ghost cop or, you know, like. (laughs) Oh, I love that (laughs) issue, too. Like that issue is amazing because that's where they actually explain Mm -hmm. the snowflake concept the first time, like the stacked hard drives kind of thing. Like that's where you start getting that informational like we are. We're a 3D projection on a 2D informational surface and everything. And yeah, yeah. We start talking about like that that projection kind of like holographic reality stuff, and I was like, "Well, that's but like the drummer can hack nineties conspiracy and, and yeah. that and him breaking the fourth wall on that, saying that's like how you read comic books." But it's also a reference to like a crazy group theory about the monster group, and stuff. it's just ugh, it's a lot. But it's so like I like that it all ties in together. It's really good. Yeah, and I think that's like where we kind of end off is like this is an amazing comic. And like, if you haven't read it, you totally should, because like us just rambling about it for 45 minutes or whatever, however long we've been going is not going to do these 27 issues plus mm-hmm. specials kind of justice. You just need to kind of get in there and like experience planetary. But for the love of God, do not read JLA planetary. Do you want to talk about those? Like, do you want to talk about the crossovers? Cause like, I, I, like I wanted to read them basically because like, I, I really like the Batman one. The other two, I'm like, I don't really care. Oh, me too. Yeah, the Batman one's a lot of fun. Yeah, Batman one's fun. Yeah. I, and I loved the shout out to the partial multiversal collapse in 86, which yeah. is referencing Christ on Infinite Earths. That made me fucking nerd yeah. out so hard. I, feel, well, I knew, like I knew that. you'd like that because I was like, that, there's like, there's yeah. a deep cuts crisis reference in there that Tim's going to fucking just yeah. bone out over. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, but it was a beautiful, beautiful homage to the long continuity and very, very like incredibly varied versions of the Dark Almost Knight. Almost schizophrenic versions yeah. of the Dark Knight, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. The bat swords were a bit much. Oh, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> Where he's got like bat anti-female repellent spray or whatever. Like, yeah. yeah the, like, oh, man. The Adam West oh, homage God, was I love so good. So much. Yeah. It's great. And the fucking sexual tension between him and Jaquita was intense. Yeah. And like every, yeah. the weird part was every version, she was like, I kind of have a crush on all of them. Like every time. <laughs> yeah. Like even the 60s one, she was kind of like, he's kind of like dad hot. And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Right. Like, I right, get it. Adam yeah. West is a good looking man, but like still. <laughs> I think that like, again, I'm going to uh, harken back like, Yes, this is an autopsy on 20th century literature, but at the same time, it is a loving autopsy. Like he's cutting it apart in the most, uh, in the most loving way possible. Most, yeah, most of the time. I mean, sometimes he's ruthless and he is, and and in some ways he should be with like the outright racist tropes that a lot of these things embody and like Mm -hmm. kind of how, how stupid Batman could have, could be in some respects. Like fucking Dark Knight Returns is great and changed the trajectory of batman for a long time but it is kind of dumb yeah, it's fucking ludicrous in a lot of ways yeah <laughs> but I, it's like there's a reason why people like it i still like yeah. it it's still like a super readable you gotta uh, buy into it but if you can yeah yeah if you can, if you can yeah, buy into that, it. it's basically just comics in general though you just have to buy in and then you're like if you buy in you're in and it's fine yeah, yeah. if you don't and you can buy into it yeah and you can buy into it in a way that doesn't accept things at face value which i think is a lot of what planetary is about you don't have to accept the world at face value you don't have to accept the comics being fed to us the way that they are you can think like this is basically like really well-structured fan fiction if you think about it like the way that this it's a cross au cross universe fan fiction with original characters that takes the jla 
and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and the Fantastic Four and 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 mashes it all yeah. together and it works. So well, especially when it should, yeah. Like, basically, this should fall apart under the weight yeah. of its own yeah. like almost hubris of taking all this on at once. It should collapse underneath this weight, but it's like Warren Ellis is a masterful writer and he's teamed up with like one of the best art teams has ever made a comic and it just ties yeah. itself together yeah. really nicely. And, and we, ha- I give it to like the, the main core cast of characters. Like he really made a, made me care about the, the main three yeah. and then eventually Ambrose, which is, yeah. we didn't really talk about Ambrose, but it was a really cool, twist yeah, like mid, mid issue i love that like star trekky kind of like it finale did. to it too where it's like we're gonna go st- stuck in the transporter yeah, we're basically stuck in the transporter we got to go save get him out of the transporter and save him and like that's the end of the story is yeah. not like oh we're gonna kill the four like we're not gonna do the big blowout it's almost the, the prologue or i guess it would be epilogue to the story where yeah. they go and get ambrose out of the, the foam and like or whatever like out of the bubble and like he gets to go back to his family and now they've you're starting to get the hints that planetary has really like expanded and started to like improve the world around them. So it starts to feel like the end of, yeah. of uh, did either of you guys read Miracle Man or like Marvel Man? Yeah. yeah like the old Neil Gaiman book. No. Yeah, Miracle Man. Yeah. Uh, ooh, that's a book oh, you're going to have to do. That's a good oh book. yeah. That's, that's a lot of, tr- it's another one I've heard. Excellent. That's a, that's about. a trope deconstructor. You're that's, you're that's a, that's a haul. I think that one Well, we'll get into that eventually. <laughs> Miracle Man's amazing. Yeah. That one we'll have to probably pirate yeah. at you because I don't know if you can actually legit buy that anymore. I think Paul and I both bought yeah. like we both what read pirate copies because you can't buy it anymore. Yeah, we both read pirated copies. I I sure Is did never, because it's I not been collected. You can't no because there's like legal all kinds of legal insanity. You should look up the Neil Gaiman Miracle Man controversy. Oh yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. The original yeah, issues are like impossible yeah. to get your hands on, so it's all just pirated copies now, which is which sucks because I'd love to give them money for like what they did and stuff, but, like. Nobody's publishing the fucking yeah. thing. You can't even get a trade of it. And if you want the trade, you got to go get one of the original trades, which costs like eight hundred bucks. I'm like, no, I just want to read comics, man. I don't want to pay eight hundred dollars to read. But yeah, they start they get yeah. into that kind of stuff, and like it wraps up. I love, I just love Planetary. I'm glad we got to talk about it. Doing the episode, yeah. yeah, good time. Just don't fucking read the JLA Planetary crossover. Yeah, so like, what was your like big issue with it? Like, you had a pro- like, I don't care because whatever. Like, I like the Phil Limon as doing the art. I, I I love Phil. No, that one was Jerry Ordway. Oh, Ordway? oh uh, Phil Ordway did the uh, did the Authority right, one, right? Sorry, uh, which which was which was good, but I don't have much to say about. Like, I didn't really sure care it's about there. It. It's fine. I thought it was kind of cool that they had like a team up where the two teams never meet. Yeah. That's neat. But no, the and I the thing with the JLA Planetary is I fucking love Jerry Ordway's work uh, artwork as well. But just the story was hot fucking garbage. Like the characters were even even the three. Oh, like uh, you know, fucking yeah planetary were totally different takes on the yeah, character they're like alternate universe evil versions of them i was like why is this happening with no explanation why no context given whatsoever plus we've already had a wonder woman and a superman analog in the planetary stories why the fuck do i need another i think it was i don't know why they did yeah. that it's just a jumbled ass mess. yeah i don't know why that one got done i don't even know warren wrote that right like ellis wrote that yeah, yeah. I only yeah. read it like twice. Yeah. I don't like that one. Like, that's why I said I said Batman in that one because I thought it would give Tim like an in with the Justice League stuff. But like, I don't think any of the other. The only crossover I really like include in the planetary run is the Batman one because it's so yeah, like it's so standalone, but it's so like, insane that you just like you have to read that. Plus, Cassidy yeah. crushes yeah. the pencils on that issue. Like he's his Gotham is oh, like yeah. the best. So yeah, I was yeah. all in for him yeah. doing uh, Batman stuff because he never really worked up for DC. 
Yeah. It, it really pisses me off that Cassidy has these moments in like both this and in uh, Astonishing when he draws Spider-Man for that oh, like, very like brief moment. Yeah. And his New York, when he w- the way that he draws Spider-Man was so right. It just pissed me off that we only got it for like, like six you pages. You can't put a guy who produces <laughs> one book every 18 months on a fucking bi-weekly Amazing Spider-Man, Paul. Like, it just doesn't happen. Yeah, like, I know. Just slow. give him, like, a, he does, no. give him an annual. I don't care. I would, give him an I annual. Would, I would really wish they hire him to do 12 <laughs> issues, but, like, you can't, like, you. Can, I don't see big names working for Marvel that often anymore. Like, guys, like, like he did in that Cassidy, like, Eminem kind of. Cassidy did draw one of the stories in Action Comics number 1000. Yeah. It was a pretty short one, but uh, I remember it being pretty cool. Yeah. The one uh, cool thing that I thought with the planetary or the JLA crossover is it did tease the time loop uh, that they originally or that they eventually used to save Ambrose. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So which is weird. You don't often get like tie ins like that or crossovers that actually have any relevance to the major, you know, to the actual story. Itself. It's probably like kind of cool. where Warren Ellis came up with the idea of how to save Ambrose was in that issue. So he wrote it into that issue so that he would remember it later because he drinks a lot. I think yeah. is what the problem is. So, <laughs> I think somebody would have been like, Oh no, you already solved that problem here. It's in the justice league. When he'd be like, Oh right. Good. And then they can go and do that last issue. Cause it was like 12 years. It was 12 years later. So, you know, yeah, because I think Planetary or JLA Planetary came out like 2003 or something yeah. like that. And then that final issue where they save Ambrose is like six years yeah, later or some so shit. There's a big. Like, that's that's a long fucking payoff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially in a book that you might not necessarily have picked up if you if you were just reading yeah. Planetary. Like, you mean, not, I mean, probably if somebody, if I know like my comic book guy at the time, if I had been reading Planetary and waiting for issues, if a crossover like that had come out, he probably would have put it in my bag. But yeah, I mean, like, was that Lens on Zidane's back in the day? Yeah, man. Mostly comics now, I think, still. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I remember Lens on Zidane's. Uh... God, I, that's where I like 90% of my comic book collection comes from, is that that one store. Like, I used that store mm-hmm. for 20 years or more than all, whatever. Either way. Oof. Yeah, I was there, like, all, the entire time I was reading and living in St. Catharines, I went to that one comic book store. I mean, I went to other ones to pick up the odd thing, but Len got everything for me. So why would I stop? Yeah. And then Bev eventually. Either way, let's uh, let's wrap it up. Final thoughts on Planetary. Let's start with like, let's start with I'll start. You know what? Because I love this book <laughs> and I don't have a ton to say about it anymore because I've been just blowing it the entire time. Like I have nothing <laughs> bad to say about this book. This is my favorite comic. Like this is the one that like, if I can, if I'm going to go pick up a book to just read that or like reread and it's going to be a Warren Ellis book, it's between this and Next Wave. And it just depends on how insane I'm today. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. If I want a serious story, I grab Planetary. If I want to watch things get kicked. I go read next wave. We're going to do next wave one day. Oh, <laughs> we are. I'm so oh, fucking yeah. ready for next wave to happen. Oh, yeah. Tim's going to hate it. Like it's so, <laughs> it's so fucking obtuse. It is. It's, obtuse. Not, it's, not even, it's not the obtuse. It's just like, it's so mean spirited towards the comic book. Overarching. It's almost like it hates <laughs> itself for being a comic book. And like, it's going to make Tim nuts and I'm going to love every second of it. I I'm okay with stuff that pokes fun. I've I've read plenty of fourth wall breaking kind of shit over the years. Yeah, we just like busting your yeah. about it, purist. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, no, next wave is gonna happen soon. Like that'll be my next. I might not do Warren Ellis back to back if I'm gonna be pulling these, but it'll <laughs> it'll come fast, boys. Because oh boy, I did read next wave this week after I finished Planetary, and I was in again. Bing Fang Foom. You have no idea how irritated he is by having no genitals. You have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Final thoughts, Paul. This is also probably my favorite comic book, there if not is. like top top two 
But, yeah. you know, I love Warren Ellis. I love that he wrote this love letter to science fiction and what it can be. And it's an amazing action comic book. It is a surprisingly poignant comic book in parts as well. Yeah. There's a lot to love about this, which is why we heap so much praise on it. So even if there are minor quibbles about this book, I don't really give a shit. Just fucking read it. Just go fuck. Why, why aren't you reading this now? Same with the issue I have with the people who didn't read Kelly Kelly Conics run on Captain Marvel. Just do it now. Just go. I'm so on board with like <laughs> the Kelly Sue DeConnick being like a Warren Ellis acolyte thing. Like that makes me so yeah. happy. I don't know why that makes me so mm. happy. Well, but. either way, go read Planetary. Agreed. Tim, did we just lose you? Uh, temporarily, but I'm back. Final thoughts. Uh, do you want to give us your final thoughts while you're? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I liked it. I had a lot of fun. Like, I, again, it's not my usual fare by any stretch, but definitely worked as a nice sort of break from mainstream superhero comics that has enough sort of references to it that I, you know, had fun just playing around with some of those tropes and styles. And uh, it really is just a very impressive pastiche of different genres and story types and just enough self-awareness, you know, not overly cynical for the most part. And I mean, it's still a Warren Ellis yeah. book. Yeah. <laughs> so like you still get Warren Ellis stuff in there. Yeah. So I know I've said that a lot, but like Warren Ellis, Warren Ellis is as much as he can. So that's basically where you're at. Yeah. Um, I'm really happy you liked it. Yeah. I was super concerned. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, man. Every once in a while I throw stuff at Tim and Tim's like, this fucking sucked. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, when did that happen? <laughs> and planetary, I was like legit concerned. Cause like, obviously I fucking love this book, and so does Paul. And like, if I was gonna throw my favorite Warren Ellis thing at you, and you hated it, I'd be like, "Well, there's gonna be a lot of Warren Ellis, so he's gonna." <laughs> this is the best of the best. So, yeah. but yeah, I'm I am glad I read it. Absolutely, and it is. Um, it's not something I think I would go back and reread often, but I mean, it's nice to know that I've got it there on my, you know, on that DC Universe service. If I ever am feeling like going back and checking it out again. Awesome. I'm actually, I'm very happy. <laughs> cool. Well, that's, uh, that's planetary. Obviously we could probably talk about planetary for, I sure could. If we, we could do an issue by issue breakdown, Mark, if you ever feel like doing that one day, we could. <laughs> that's totally a different like... podcast. <laughs> there is a Patreon series that I need to talk to you about. So there's definitely, uh, I have plans for the future just so we're all clear and they involve doing exactly that kind of stuff. So, uh, especially with this trio where that's kind of basically what we do. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty awesome. Uh, all right. So let's get into geek cred. I'm just going to throw out right now. If you do not read planetary after this, <laughs> that's my this you should go read planetary. That's too easy. So I'm going to agree with Paul's rant and just say, fucking go read planetary. So geek cred us up, Paul. So I was recommended a video game recently from the makers of papers, please. They're, they released a game last year called Return of the Oberdin, which is a oh, uh, yeah, time-traveling yeah, murder <laughs> mystery. Yeah, I had just started getting into it, and it's kind of my my go-to if I don't feel like doing Kingdom Hearts things. I go, I've been working on uh, Return of the Oberdin as of last night. So, Is that that black and white? Is that yeah, the race game? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yahtzee's been going nuts about that game. Like He basically mentions it in every video every week. And he has since yeah. it came out. Like he always, always like I could be playing something I really like, and he fucking flashes the middle yeah. screen of that. Game. I'm <laughs> like, all right, Yahtzee, I'll play it eventually. All right, when's it come over PlayStation? It's really cool. It's like very narrative based. It's a bit of a puzzle game. It's you know, it's like basically a murder mystery where you go back in time and solve murders on a ship. 
and it's fucking fun as fuck. So go play Return of the Oberdin. It's great. Yeah. Nice. And Tim. So I didn't. I. I mean, I uh, talked a little bit about my trip to Disney World on the podcast, but you know, it was a fucking week long. There's plenty of shit there that I did that was really impressive. So I'm gonna give my geek cred this week to the Avatar Flight of Passage ride in the Pandora area of Animal Kingdom because it's the first time I'd ridden it. It's came out what two or three years now uh, now it's been there um but it is a super fucking impressive ride it is one of if not the most immersive theme park uh, experiences i've ever been through uh to the point where you're basically quote-unquote mounting i know how that sounds one of like the banshees from the movie <laughs> and, we, uh, we always knew what that subtext was so d- let's yeah. not let's not pretend <laughs> Yep. Wasn't that movie all, isn't that movie just all about fucking aliens? Isn't Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and, correct. yeah. Okay. and then you can actually feel the Banshee breathing between your legs. The ride vehicle like pulses Gross. in between your legs and shit. And there's crazy just level of immersion. The video itself is beautiful. The environments you go through are amazing. There's smells involved that are piped in at you. So you really just get that like fully immersive, crazy high def 3d experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I highly, highly recommend it. Um, If you guys are uh, into YouTube or bread tube, you know, like left wing YouTube, like there's an adjacent YouTuber, her name's Jenny Nicholson. And she did an hour long YouTube breakdown of what it's like to go to Pandora. And she's a, a Disney theme park nerd on the level of Tim, if not more, because she's got a YouTube channel that often like is just these rants about it. And she, her take on Pandora is really fucking funny. So check out Jenny Nicholson. If you have a chance, it's really a good breakdown. Oh, I know Jenny. I've seen some of her videos and stuff. Yeah. She's really funny. She needs to stop talking about last Jedi. That's like every video for the past year has been nothing but last Jedi shit. I'm (laughs) I wanted to talk about something new pro or pro or negative. Uh, uh, she is. She's pro last Jedi against the negative people. That she's pro last Jedi. She, yeah. okay. Like she, she's always taken pot shots at the guys who are criticizing last Jedi, and it's been like all the last year. It's easy target. Along she, the last thing that she did was a a close lot. reading of a book that is clearly a rewrite, a uh, Fifty Shades of Grey style rewrite of a Kylo Ren uh, Ray sexual yeah. fanfic. It's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> it is funny. Like it's pretty funny. But she's just like really into like the Star Wars stuff, and I'm like, I would like her to touch other stuff. But yeah, no, I, I agree. Jenny Nixon's yeah. great. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. So I mean, the line for that ride can get really fucking long, but I still suggest that you wait for it because it is absolutely worth it. Yeah. Okay. So. Nice. All right, boys. That's uh, that stands for about things for this week. We got anything else we want to talk about before we get the fuck out of nah, here? No, I'm good. Well, let's do it. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe, which you can do via whatever podcatching app you prefer on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and now Spotify. We'd also like to hear what you thought about, like Planetary or any of the news we talked about today. And if you would like to talk to us about that, you can drop us a line on Facebook.com slash Dance Robot Dance Podcast on Twitter at DRD underscore podcast, or you can email us at dance robot dance podcast at gmail.com. So, whew. <laughs> Take a night, Paul. Good morning, but good night, but good morning. But Whatever. Take <laughs> <laughs> a night, Tim. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. It's a strange rule, folks. Let's keep it that way. And then kick Dracula in his frozen dick until it flies off. Come on, is that not the reason why you wanted to keep reading the book? Did you not get to that and just be like, this is the best fucking thing that's ever happened in a comic book ever?
I, I think I'm that done. that has to say something about you personally, that that was your... <laughs> I was so... I love that. That title. was your, the pinnacle of the book for you, was Dracula's frozen penis. Is your obsession with uh, mutilation Vampire. of Dracula's frozen genitals? I want, I want the next Castlevania game to have the Dracula fight end, <laughs> where you freeze his dick. That's a bonus level? <laughs> that's, in the, that's the final. <laughs> and then Dracula's dead forever. The end. It's, like, it's like those Street Fighter levels, where you just had to like hack it a car for like two seconds two minutes straight you just have to keep fucking kicking dracula's frozen penis i like it i'm in i am in and we are out